0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
2: At
1: Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
3: Happy Friday morning, folks. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, helping you through life. And folks, we made it another week. Life is good. Friday morning. By the way, also William Tell day. William Tell day. On 18th of November 1307, William Tell visited the mayor of a town with his young son and publicly refused to bow to the politician and was arrested. The mayor, intrigued by Tell's famed marksmanship but resentful of his defiance, devised a cruel punishment. Tell and his son were to be executed. However, he could redeem his life by shooting an apple off of his son's head. This is crazy. Robert's uh, head, in uh, his son Robert's head, and he, uh, by the way, did so in a single attempt. Tell split the apple with a bolt from his crossbow. However, November is also Child Safety Protection Month.
4: So please don't be shooting any apples off of your children's head this month. That is a legend. About William Tell, it's one of those things that gets retold and retold, and the authenticity of the story. yeah oh, it's real. Yeah. It's real, but you know, well, who is it hurt? Right? What? What like would some, happen? Except maybe a kid if you shot an apple out his office. If out. a judge told you or a
3: mayor told you, you've got to shoot something off of the head of your child.
4: Mayor is roughly translated from the uh, the term that they were using. What were they using? Well, it's Big like Vogut or something, but it's it means. Basically mayor, except not like in our term of mayor. It's, it's probably like, yeah. M- mini king. M- mini or king. Yeah. Mini chief. It's a fiefdom type person. So yeah, there, there's a little bit more to it there, but I don't know. Could you shoot something off of your child's head? No. I'd need a pool noodle. That's <laughs> the only type of weapon I use. You so can easily pool noodle something off yes. their head.
5: It's a true story. It's a true story. It just, it wasn't an apple.
4: Oh. What was it? An iPhone. A gourd of some kind squash
3: you know i'd rather shoot an apple
5: yeah i think it was a disgraced cabinet member they just wanted to get rid of him anyway just shot him right
3: off his head (laughs) it's a cool story anyway and by the way music you gotta love yeah he he, mean he's got his own song
4: an overture
3: if you will that's right hey um apparently jeff sessions is in session yes the new uh hand picked US attorney general who is well but yeah he's uh he's going he's he's got a very rigid line on immigration so trump pulled very conservative to get somebody over immigration to get the top police officer of the country basically over
4: immigration who and is pro wall anti immigration and i was reading has a well he doesn't like the aclu so Wow. That's kind of the direction he goes.
3: So that will probably send chills through many communities. Uh-huh. That's there's one choice we'll get to that today.
4: Talk about Oh, there's uh, more. Oh, what? There's two there's two others. Oh, that he's picked? That the, the uh, Trump organization has put out there is, these are his picks. Who? We'll get to it. We have to get to Sadie and picks? then we can get to the rest of it. You Act- want to you want to like get all this out Actual the- picks? Yeah. Oh yeah, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about. It. Oh, I got. Yeah. I got some rundown on some yeah. other things.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. okay, it's okay. I I know another one. Um, that's. Yeah. It's okay. And then others that he's looking at, he's vetting oh, yeah, yeah. that are out of outrageous, according to Trump. We'll get to all that fun. Um, plus, uh, in a few minutes too, we'll be talking about how democracy um, and the way we elect people may not produce the most responsive government.
6: Mm. We'll
3: get to that excitement as well. Plus. <laughs> A little, uh, we like we like to, at the end of every week, we like to do a, a news rap. Well, we don't. Well, we, but we like to, it's a multi-generational kind of event. We where
4: empower our elders.
3: We empower our seniors. With the power of the beat. To take on a rap and rap the news. It's really fun. Edsel and Agatha Dinwoody will be joining us to do that. Edsel.
5: They usually only Edsel. eat beats. Yes. But this time they're... Dropping. Yeah. Laying down
3: a beat. (laughs) All that fun ahead, but first, let's get to Sadie Nielsen with the headline. Sadie, what's up?
7: Mitt Romney will meet with President-elect Donald Trump this weekend to discuss governing and a possible cabinet post, as first reported by CNN. NBC News later added that, according to sources close to Trump, the possibility of Secretary of State post for the former Massachusetts governor will be a part of the conversation. Romney famously refused to back Trump in the presidential election and also spoke out against him during the GOP primaries. In a wide-ranging interview with The New Yorker, President Obama discussed the election of president-elect Donald Trump and struck a most optimistic tone about the future of the United States and his legacy. This is not the apocalypse," Obama said. "I don't believe in the apocalypse until the apocalypse. Apocalypse comes. I think nothing and the end of the world. I think nothing is the end of the world until the end of the world." He also expressed concern about the explosion of fake news online, characterizing it as an environment where everything is true and nothing is true. Alabama Senator Jeff Sessions, who jumped aboard the Donald Trump train long before the real estate mogul sold up the Republican nomination, has been offered the post of attorney general, Fox News has confirmed. Sessions, 69, who advised Trump on immigration during the bruising campaign, was the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of Alabama from 1981 to 1993 before being elected to the U.S. Senate in 1996. He was also reelected to a fourth term in 2014. Representative Mike Pompeo also has accepted the CIA director position. And finally... Yes, ma'am. Um, so we heard about snakes on a plane oh. a couple weeks ago. Yes. Um. Here's another thing that's happened on On the planes. (laughs) Um, A passenger on a flight from San Francisco to Mexico recorded a pilot's announcement discouraging political talk in flight after an argument happened about Donald Trump. A passenger began to film just after the pilot asked passengers to refrain from discussing President-elect Donald Trump or other hot button political issues while in the air. He said, I understand everybody has their opinions. That's fine. But stop arguing. No one wants to argue. We need to get along. If you have a problem with that, there's another flight tomorrow you can take. No more arguing on this plane. Oh, that's cool. So the pilots
3: Didn't they break out in cheer after that?
7: They did. Yes. yes. But there was a small altercation on the flight as well uh, between a woman and a man about uh, Donald Trump. And uh, so he obviously was very upset about this. And he's like, Do you know what? Not on my plane.
4: Take it outside. Take it outside. It's in in closed places. You just can't can't do that. You know what? You can't get away from each other. You shouldn't talk
3: politics, religion, sex. Don't bring up the abortion issue on an airplane.
7: Just don't do it. Or
3: Or snakes. Or snakes. Yeah, and keep your reptiles in their bag. It's
4: pretty simple stuff.
3: I mean – do they not realize they're and, at 30,000 feet? And
4: don't criticize other people's support animals, even if it's a turkey or something.
3: Yeah, even yeah. if somebody brought on a, a support go. It was
4: a duck. Yeah. Well, it was a turkey before, <laughs> though. But
3: yeah, a turkey and a duck. Wow. Honestly, I don't think we understand really how fragile life is.
7: Amen. Right?
3: You're at 30,000 feet. Hmm. You break out into a riot. It's a wrong place. It's but a
4: bad time and place. Wait for yeah. the airport. That's right. You have those nice concourses. It's nice yeah. and open. You can get a refreshing drink of some kind. I wouldn't the... even fight when the plane is parked
3: because it's still, what, 12 feet to the ground? Yeah. You're still. 14 up. feet. I mean, you're right. up there. That's And that's a hard ground. You, I mean.
5: You know what they need to do? They need to somehow harness the uh, Cinnabon exhaust and uh, funnel it onto the plane.
3: Maybe that's what they should do is just put some Cinnabon in the microwave and just
5: slowly cook them all. The smel- you, don't even have everyone- to, you don't even have to serve them. No. Just the smell alone would be enough to pacify all the passengers. Mm. What they need to do, isn't it if you uh,
3: – when the oxygen masks drop, that means we're low on oxygen, which would probably have everyone on the airplane pass out. That's what he should have done is just a maneuver, some maneuver where he just starts just dropping the plane,
4: just dives, Decompress the passenger uh-huh. cabin. Yeah. Okay, great. That Open sounds, a window. That's yeah. all you
3: got to do. He Open should, the window. He shouldn't have a problem Half with that. Half of yeah. them would pass out in a
4: second.
5: I think the part that the guy wasn't able to record on his phone was, if you don't stop this argument, I'm turning this plane around right now.
3: <laughs> don't make me come back there. That's cool. Cool stuff. So apparently, Senator Jeff Sessions, um, Donald-elect has offered Jeff Sessions the post of Attorney General, Hmm. according to officials close to the transition team. Jeff Sessions, I believe, is one of the only senators that gave Donald Trump a thumbs up. He did? Er, Early. Early early, on. Early. I think he was the first. And um, Mr. Uh, Sessions, interestingly,
4: um, he's got some interesting stuff to say about this. He's... Well, he is a tough cookie. He didn't talk. He talked yesterday in the in Trump Tower. It wasn't about this. He had just met with Trump, and he came down the elevators. And by the way, there's a lot of video of people coming down the elevators. We'll talk about that in a sec. Others that are uh, Mike uh, Pompeo, a congressman from Wichita, Kansas. He is uh, being uh, at least the at least at the moment he's being named as the CIA head. Mm-hmm. Pompeo. Pompeo. He's. Uh, Pro-Patriot
3: Act,
6: hmm.
4: pro-GITMO. He was a diplomat in Benghazi. He was. He's a West Point Harvard Law graduate. So, I mean, wow. he, he has all the credentials, you would think, that yeah. could, uh, could do that job. Uh, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, he's a national security advisor. Flynn is the general
3: that uh, Trump has always kind of referred to as his uh, one of the great uh,
4: generals that have been advising him. He ran the Defense Intelligence Agency in 2014. That's when he stepped down from there.
3: Many think he's, so. he's, he's a little bit, uh, he's an edgier type of general, which for your national security advisor is a little, you know, interesting.
4: So those are some of the, the picks that are coming out that are slowly coming out. With uh, Now, if you watch, C SPAN has a live feed, if you would like to oh, watch yeah. this, of live, the Trump I mean, live is Live is subjective.
3: What do you mean? On C-SPAN. It is live, uh-huh. but you don't always feel
4: like they are alive when gotcha. you're watching it. So you're watching just a, a feed of Trump Tower's lobby. You see their bank of four elevators that go up to the penthouse level. And uh, the cameras are across the way. All the media is behind a red velvet rope. They're not <laughs> allowed to go anywhere, other other place in the building other than that little area. And so occasionally people come out from the elevators to talk to the media, to give right. them kind of an update. This is where we found Jeff Sessions... As he came out, he's one of the four chairs, I guess, of the uh, transition team or five heads. I don't know. And uh, so he came down to give kind of a, a status update. Okay, good. So we'll go with clip one.
1: DONALD TRUMP, I'VE BEEN IN A NUMBER OF MEETINGS WITH HIM WHILE HE TALKS TO PEOPLE WHO ARE UNDER CONSIDERATION AND HE'D LIKE TO MEET AND TALK TO AND JUST SEE how, WHO THEY ARE. AND HE JUST DOES A REALLY GOOD JOB. HE'S ENGAGING, RIGHT THERE TALKING TO THEM. AND IT'S A GOOD vibe, good FEEL. Uh, I THINK HE GETS A GOOD FEEL FOR PEOPLE. AND I THINK HE HAS A, a GOOD ABILITY TO SIZE UP PEOPLE uh, IN AN EFFECTIVE WAY. A BIG, BIG PART OF HIS SUCCESS IN BUSINESS He's having good people around him. Hmm. Well,
3: what? What, what was that? A commercial?
4: Yes. Okay. He, he's saying everything is is fine. Everything's moving forward. As uh, as. Well, Mr. L- Trump talks to people, and he's a, a good judge of character, and this yeah. is how he ran his business, and this is why it's going to work.
3: He's, he, he, he puts out a wonderful spread. There you go. There's
4: some good food that this Mr. Nice, Trump brings. Nice meats and cheeses, and everything's great.
3: <laughs> we had a cheese plate and a veggie plate for lunch. We went for ham,
5: ham sandwiches. I think he put in a subtle plug for himself there, too. He well, surrounds himself with good people. And he was That's a great point. with Mr.
3: Trump. That's so. a great point. Now, Romney also has been asked to visit... Uh, Romney, who was, you know, the arch nemesis of Trump, the anti-Trump movement, also he um, he's one of those. What do we
4: call him? He's one of the old guard. Yes, the establishment. The establishment Republican. that Trump was so against. The two men set to meet on Saturday to discuss, quote, governing, moving forward, mm. and a potential role for Romney in the Trump cabinet, according to sources. The sources declined to specify which cabinet position. Some are saying possibly. Secretary of State. Wow. Now Obama went that direction, right? Right. He picked someone who was a rival, someone who was against him, someone who beat him up. Yeah. You know, a bad. So this might be a good move, kind of bring in the other side that was never Trump. See if we can kind of unify some of this. Uh, Sessions talks about this clip too.
1: Well, I think it's good that the president elect is meeting uh, with people like Mr. Romney. He's meeting with a lot of talented people that are going to be uh, just these needs good relationships with. And uh, I think uh, Mr. Romney will be quite capable of, of doing a number of things, but uh, he'll be one of those I'm sure that's reviewed. He, he has
3: no clue what Romney's talking to him about. <laughs> Isn't it amazing what a politician can do? They can pretend. Kelly and Conway brought yeah. Jeff Sessions down. To be the spokesperson for
4: yesterday, yeah,
3: and it, no matter. It also could be just you know we're bringing all the peacocks by and we're just showing off the depth well,
4: of CNN his work. has a, a feature uh, report, and they're like they're talking to the the photojournalists that are out there, and they said the difficult part is there's four elevators, right? So you have to kind of guess. Where you're going to point your camera? Because they almost missed Rudy Giuliani leaving an elevator yesterday. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, too, in that same building there are other businesses, so it yes. could be like you know a Tiffany's that's in the lobby, or it something? it could be
3: a, cu- a couple that's coming from their divorce mediation.
4: Oh, yeah, they walk law out, firms, and, and there's kinds all of these stuff, cameras.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's he's also has a lot. I mean, the entire uh, team he's got behind uh, the Trump reorganization is is all there, so. The other, it, it could be a
4: million people coming out doing a million different things. To me, it seems like the other difficulty is other transition teams have, have been located in D.C. Yeah. And then the, the, the president-elect works out of D.C. and they're able to really – It seems smarter. Smoother kind of process as you're bringing people yeah. in and out. Well, he's in New York not just New York but 5th Avenue which is just kind of difficult to get to so they're having to bring uh-huh. all these people from DC and you got Mike Pence kind of shuttling back and forth cuz I think most of the transition team is still in DC. Yeah. Well, it also seems
3: you know, you'd want to also be connecting with the Obama administration. Apparently, the Trump administration isn't necessarily communicating that well yet with the Obama. I mean, it's like it's like y- what, week 1? But you need to know some numbers, you know, you need yeah. to know apparently uh President Obama has come clean a little bit more on what he said to Trump yeah. and some of the mind-blowing things that he explained. He found out some things that Trump apparently didn't know certain things had to happen or to the depth that certain things had to happen. So this is good. I, I personally think the media is in left field because they're trying to make a bunch of stories right now. Usually they give – the president-elect, just a little breathing room. A little breathing room. It's been a week. But they can't get the bad taste out of their mouth for Trump, so they just keep pounding. Yeah. But let's just say he did choose somebody like a Romney. Mm-hmm. Then you have Jeff Sessions, your best friend politically, but very conservative. And then you have a Romney as your who critiqued his foreign policy. It's a, it's a really nice mix. And if he can and then he might bring on a democrat they're saying mm-hmm. which would be I think fantastic. Yeah. And uh the interesting thing will be how diverse will this be? I mean President Obama had a very diverse cabinet. Will there be a balance of male to female, all these other issues that are coming up. Anyway, it's this is this is pretty interesting. I, I personally think whether you like Trump or not, I like the fact that somebody that's an outsider that's so different is is going is taking a shot at this You're going to love him Um I think in the end if you bring in all these experts that were experts anyway I I think we're all we're we're okay We're safe Now But Jeff Sessions as the Attorney General that's scary for some right Jeff Sessions isn't about keeping people in the country illegally That's pretty much stated. So um, he may have just picked the top law enforcement officer as one who's very uh, pro-legal immigration, anti-illegal immigration. Anyway, we'll get to that. We'll talk uh, up next about democracy for realists. Why elections do not produce responsive government. Up next, Dr. Larry Bartel. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. In the book Democracy for Realists, Larry Bartels and his co-author Christopher Aiken uh, explore election returns, economic statistics, and survey data to reach the almost grim conclusion that elections do not produce responsive government. Here to discuss his findings is Professor Larry Bartels. He is a political scientist at Vanderbilt University and as, as well was co-author of the book Democracy for Results. Uh, Dr. Bartels, thank you so much for being with us today. What um, it's – I've always kind of felt like we don't have a very responsive government. What do you mean by the, the uh, title of your book, That uh, Democracy for Realists, Why Elections Do Not Produce Responsive
8: Government? Well, there's a sort of cultural view of democracy, which we refer to in the book as the folk theory of democracy. It's the idea, going back <clears throat> at least to Lincoln, that government is – Going to be of the people and by the people and for the people. And especially in the progressive era, we worked up a very detailed ideology uh, in which we take that notion to a sort of extreme and imagine that ordinary citizens can use the electoral process to enforce their policy preferences and translate their policy preferences into policy and control elected leaders. Um, All of that sounds nice in theory, but doesn't work very well.
3: Hmm. Then, So if it's not of the people, by the people, for the people, then what does drive the responsiveness of government?
8: Well, mostly elected officials do what they want. They pursue their own ideological convictions. And so in the current polarized era, that means mostly that Democratic presidents pursue liberal policies and Republican presidents pursue conservative policies. They're constrained significantly by other political elites and economic elites, so they don't accomplish everything that they set out to do. Uh, but uh, they're not being constrained very much by ordinary citizens' views.
6: Mm,
3: so true. And do you, I mean, I guess in a way, is, is that what's contributing to some of this polarization, the, the fact that, and the backlash even maybe of Trump? People are just tired of policies that aren't for the people.
8: Well, that's probably part of it. Uh, Trust in government has been pretty low for a long time, but has gotten even lower lately. And that corresponds, at least in time, with uh, an increasing polarization between the parties. So it may be that people who don't see either party's policies as uh, in their interests are increasingly disaffected for that reason.
3: Do because I guess interestingly though um, Hillary Clinton wins the popular vote, uh, president elect Trump wins the electoral vote or electoral college, so I guess in a way we are fairly equally divided, and if every eight years it turns over, then aren't most of our views served when our president of our you know choice is elected.
8: Well, that's right. One of the things we show about voting behavior is that it does tend to be both cyclical in the sense that the longer a party has held power, the less likely they are to get reelected, and pretty random. Election outcomes are affected by all kinds of things that don't reflect ordinary citizens' policy preferences, and those two factors put together imply that we'll get a lot of alternation in power, and indeed we say that that's one of the things that's good about democracy is that it's pretty unlikely that any one team or any one set of elites is going to be in charge uh, for a long enough period of time to get really entrenched in power.
3: Hmm. In fact, you bring that up that, um, you know, a lot of people were surprised by the Trump election. But you were saying that on fundamental factors like incumbency, um, talk about that, that, that this wasn't a big surprise to anybody that kind of was a traditionalist for how elections should go.
8: Well, political scientists have a lot of statistical models of election outcomes based on data going back uh, over the last 60 or 70 years, and they vary in detail, but most of them in this election cycle suggested that it would be a quite close election. Um, harder for the Democrats to win again because they'd held the White House for a couple of terms already, uh, and with the economy doing not terribly, but also not spectacularly. Um, most of the people who produced those forecasts then backed away from them on the grounds that they thought that Trump was such an unusual candidate that probably the result would differ from what we'd expect on the basis of those fundamental conditions. But what was surprising was that it really didn't. Uh, hmm. Uh, 90% of Republicans ended up voting for the Republican candidate, and 90% of Democrats ended up voting for the Democratic candidate. And we got the same kind of close outcome that one would have expected on the basis of those historical forces.
3: Does it ever change then? I mean, at this rate, it it will just keep kind of yo-yoing back and forth.
8: Well, it's possible that one party would, over time, build a sufficient majority, that they would win elections more consistently, that's been a pretty rare thing in American political history, but it's possible that we'll deviate somehow away from this kind of 50-50 split that we've seen in recent elections.
3: Is I guess, too, I wonder what percentage—I don't know who to believe anymore, right? Because I keep hearing—I hear the the politicians tell me what people want to hear or what they believe people want to hear— But then I wonder, too, if it's not, you know, the left pulling people left or the extreme right pulling people extreme right. I seem to fall somewhere in the middle. But many times, many times it's about you're going to choose a candidate, but the candidate could be very far left or far right, not necessarily somewhere in the middle.
8: Right. The candidates tend typically to be uh, prototypical conservatives on one side and prototypical liberals on the other side. Political scientists have a neat theory about how that can't happen, that if voters are voting for the candidates who are closest to them, then the candidates have to converge to the middle in order to get elected. The reason that doesn't happen is that voters mostly aren't voting on the basis of these policy preferences.
3: Hmm. Does what? What? Where do you think Trump fits in this? Because many would argue he's not even a conservative at all.
8: Well, he sounded uh, less stereotypically conservative early in the campaign, and I think over time gradually started to sound more like a conventional Republican. I think that's a fairly typical pattern. Um, Once he's in office, he's going to need the cooperation of Republicans in Congress in order to get anything accomplished. And so I think that's going to make him in office probably look like a more typical Republican than he had sounded, especially in the earlier part of his campaign. Hmm.
3: Does it give him any advantage uh, having, I mean, it obviously does in passing his agenda, but in maybe staying elected um, and, and maybe doing a second term, does it give him an advantage having a Republican Senate, Republican uh, legislature?
8: Um, well, it may give him an advantage in terms of accomplishing what he wants to accomplish in the way of policy. And if voters like those policies, then that'll make it a little more likely that he'll be able to get reelected four years from now. But the kind of performance that seems to matter most in terms of reelection is really not how well a president does over his entire term, but rather how things are going in the months leading up to the election. And that's pretty random. The economy fluctuates for. All kinds of reasons, many of which don't have anything to do with the president's policies. But if the economy is booming in the middle of 2020, uh, then Trump's chances of getting reelected will probably be pretty good. And if it's not, then probably not.
3: That's interesting. So if there's one thing they should work on to make sure it's churning in four years or near the election, make sure the economy's up. Right. Make sure the economy is producing. Interesting. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Larry Bartels from Vanderbilt University, and he is walking us through um, his book, Democracy for Results, giving us some of the insights from that. We'll come back, continue the discussion, find out uh, going forward um, where, where he thinks this might go, what the parties are going to do, if anything, to be able to realign and, um, and how they go about doing that. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show helping you see the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Larry Bartels joins us. He's a political scientist at Vanderbilt University, as well as the author, co-author of Democracy for Realists. He's also uh, the author of a new revised edition of Unequal Democracy, Political Economy of the New Gilded Age. And we're honored again to have you with us, Dr. Bartels. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's so we always hear that democracy is the best system we've got. But it also seems that there's still some flaws to it in that it. Um, you know, it still might, you know, pay attention, more attention to the wealthy, the rich. It's still about politicians, per se, as you were describing earlier, not necessarily about the will of the people always. Is it it still serving us?
8: Well, I mean, as you say, we think that it probably serves us better than some other political system would. Um, And so on one hand, we want to understand those virtues of democracy. But on the other hand, we have uh, this idealistic notion of what democracy should be. And often when we try to understand the political system or our part in it or to reform the political system, we're operating on the basis of these unrealistic principles in ways that turn out to be counterproductive.
3: Do we, do we sometimes... Um expect too much from our politicians. I mean, it seems like sometimes presidents stick their necks out uh about issues that they can't do anything about anyway. And I know in your book you you talked about politicians doing that. What what, what is your what is your take on that? I mean, th- their roles are still fairly limited.
8: Well, there are limits to what they can accomplish and we overlook that because we think that somehow they ought to be able to translate our Policy preferences into policies and control all the problems that face the country um, at the same time we have this idea that if they don 't do that, we can simply replace them with somebody who's going to be better and so mm-hmm. we always imagine that there's some candidate out there who will you know for some reason that other politicians haven 't been able to will simply do what 's good for the people but what is good for the people is such a complicated thing that uh, not surprisingly, no politician can really accomplish that all the time.
3: Right. Well, and you, you highlighted in your book about, uh, you know, shark attacks on the coast. I mean, there, there's a point where I guess the president can't do that. Uh, uh, the water issue in Flint, Michigan could become a very contested issue. And I guess he could hand it down to his committee leaders and um but I guess in the end, the government is a major bureaucracy. So when Donald Trump says he's going to drain the swamp, do you do you is that even possible?
8: Well, it's not. Um, but it, more importantly, it's not even clear what that would mean. Right. Um, presumably, he doesn't want to shut down the government, but he wants it to operate only in ways that are consistent with the people's interests. But what that would mean and how it would work is, you know, entirely. uh up in the air,
3: ambiguous, and then um uh it just he also ran on other issues about education reform um about maybe even election reform, and i I don't know i i I guess I feel like are we just given a bunch of promises that that won't come to anything, and i i am assuming, yeah, I mean a certain so percentage won't make
8: promises because they're appealing to people and what we say about elections is that most of what goes on is appealing to people on the basis of symbolic appeals or attachments to groups and social identities so i think what you have to bear in mind here is that the people who voted for trump mostly did not vote for him on the basis of specific policy preferences or responding to anything specifically he said about what he would do in office it was uh, a feeling that he was somehow for them and would make changes that would be in their interests.
3: After such a loss for the Democratic Party, does do you see major realignment for them um and and did you see any real align, realignment of the Republican Party after their losses over the
6: past 8 years?
8: No, there was a lot of discussion on the Republican side about how the party ought to change in order to be more appealing to voters. um That turned out, in the end, not to amount to anything, because once the primary season started, the primary voters voted for the guy that they liked, uh, who was probably as far from that notion of what the party should do to change as any of the candidates in the race. Um, I don't think that the Democratic Party has a lesson to learn from this kind of election, either. I think they'll probably go overboard as the losing party almost always does in terms of thinking about how they can restyle themselves or rebrand themselves in order to be politically more appealing. But I think the way to think about the outcome of this election in the context of recent elections is that we have a pretty evenly divided country. The elections are generally pretty close. Um last time it was close and the Democrats won by a little. This time it's close and the Republicans won by a little. Um, we say in the book that the result of an election is essentially a coin toss, and in this case the flip uh, turned out to be an R rather than a D, but I wouldn't take away any grand lessons beyond that.
3: Hmm. Is, d- do you project then it, that the that this won't be like a, a, a major shift in how— um, in In the direction of government and in the direction of of elections and the electoral process is this is this just an anomaly, and we'll all go back to the way it's been for thirty forty years, or are things changing
8: well i I want to separate government and elections um one of the things that's hard for people to wrap their minds around is that although the results of elections are pretty random uh the consequences can be substantial in the world where the parties want very different things. The difference in policy outcomes between having a Republican government and having a Democratic government can be very substantial, but that substantial difference is produced by an insubstantial difference in in the election results. But with respect to campaigning, I think one of the things that may happen as a result of Trump's success is a kind of loosening of what had been the accepted standards of behavior by presidential candidates. Um, The attachment to democratic norms of debate and civic niceness, I would say, Hmm. have been eroded by this campaign, and uh, it may be that there won't be, at least in the short run, uh, a reverse from that.
9: Scary.
3: (laughs) That's all we need. I mean, the debate just to take an election that low again that'd be horrible um does it also open up the fact that uh, a tv star could and I, and I guess a businessman as well could become the president of the united states does that open it up for others oprah i mean people are saying tom hanks and other actors that are very popular could now just bring their you know their political or their social cachet and and, and cash in as president
8: Well, there's always been a prospect for that, uh, and we've seen it fairly frequently for other offices. If you look at the U.S. Senate, for example, uh, it's typically salted with some celebrities of one kind or another. We haven't seen it as much at the presidential level, mostly because the system that we've had for nominating presidents has had enough elite influence to weed out amateurs. Um, Wendell Willkie was a presidential nominee who was a Businessman with no political experience in the nineteen forties, but that's really been quite rare uh historically but now, I think largely in pursuit of this folk theory of democracy, we've opened up the presidential nominating process and thought that the only democratic way to pick our candidates is through presidential primaries, and that takes away this um ability of political elites to influence the outcome and weed out demagogues and amateurs.
6: Hmm.
3: Do you, going forward, uh, any any advice you have for the rest of us about uh, maybe a way that we just as voters, as participants in the process, how can we play a healthier role to to create a better outcome?
8: Well, I think the most important thing probably is the ways in which organized political groups of one sort or another. Connect to citizens' interests and reflect those citizens' interests. I think, for example, about white working class people, there's been so much talk about them in this election cycle, and uh, many people are interpreting the outcome as attributable to the shift toward Trump of these disaffected white working class voters. Um, in some sense, that's understandable given their experiences over the last half century, but on the other hand, it's very odd given that they've generally done significantly better under democratic presidents than they have Mm. under republican presidents and as best we can tell the impact of specific policy choices uh... it seems likely that they're not going to be uh... better off as a result of the sorts of policies that trump has talked about pursuing Um, but he appealed to them largely as an identity group and so Um, If all there is is an appeal at election time to an identity group and then policy-making goes on in a way that's not connected to those people's interests, they're only likely to become more disaffected over time. Um, Whereas if there are organized groups that reflect their interests and have clout in the policy-making process, uh, then it's more likely, I think, that the policy-making process will reflect their preferences or their interests
3: hold people accountable and i mean i guess organize smart and cuz i mean we we know that you know associations can go in and can can impact legislation and so i'm assuming you know if if you're going to be organized get organized and Hold the uh, hold the candidates accountable. Well, we appreciate you, Doctor Larry Bartels. Thank you for your great insight here, and uh, your also your insight in the book "Democracy for Realists: Why Elections Do Not Produce Responsive Government." Um, interesting read and important, I think, to to stay clear that uh, a lot of this may have just come down to an election about the fundamental factors that traditionally impact who wins a presidency, incumbency, okay, there was a shift of incumbency, we've had a president from one party for eight years, it's very natural to go to the other party, and state of the economy, the economy wasn't thriving, lots of people feeling problems about it, maybe there's not this doomsday scenario going on, maybe this is just a fairly natural shift, Uh, by the way, along with a lot of the the, uh, bravado and, I don't know, vibration of Donald Trump as well. So there's some hope there. Stick with us. We'll take a break. Come back, do a little Coach's Corner, and also we'll be wrapping the news with Edsel and Agatha Dinwoody. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Uh, over and over on the show, we've been talking about uh, how you can handle the the election and the Trump-vasion. But really, you're in a democracy. This, the tension, it's, uh, it's incredible. A lot of people are terrified. And again, if you don't feel terrified by a Trump election, that's fine. If you're, in fact, invigorated and excited by it, that's good. That's great. However, go try to figure out why so many people are frustrated and afraid and protesting. Do the best you can to not just assume it's because they're just weak-minded people that don't understand. They're the people that have been in power for eight years oppressing the rest of us. Okay, those are the easy, fast answers, but if we want to change America— Then it has to change right now, and it might need to change not by the losing party having a change of heart and realizing what a great thing they've got with Trump. Maybe it has to come with the winning party trying to extend to the Democrats what you feel was not extended to you from the Democrats when they won eight years ago. It's becoming the change. It's what Gandhi taught us. It's us becoming the change we need to become right now. And if we can handle the winning side or the losing side of this differently, we could actually change the country. Well, I know, but Matt, you don't understand. We're fighting for we're fighting to take back America, to make America great again. I get it. But you're not going to make America great by gloating and ignoring the pain of other people. For 18 months on this show, we talked about the fact that there are a lot of people in middle America that are in pain, and nobody seems to be paying attention to them. There's a reason that Trump emerged as an option, and it's because people were in pain. Now that Trump is the president-elect, you see that there's a whole other group of people that are in pain. Let us not ignore their pain. Let's go understand what they're feeling. They're terrified that the progress that has been made with a with a president, with President Obama and his choices and his effect on so many different issues and openness, that those doors are going to be shut and we're no longer going to remain as an open country that is open and caring and able to adapt to the different needs of other people and populations. So don't, we don't have to be a jerk about this. Let's just understand it. Let's let's go figure it out. Let's start creating some hope and, and ensuring people that we are not going to throw people out. What about the illegals? Okay, let's talk about it. What should we be doing? What should the laws be? Let's have an open discussion. Um, some of it might be enforcement, but so much of this is is not going to be solved in the rhetoric of it. It's going to be solved in the understanding of it. And it's a complex issue, right? Sure, you you might need to – there might be people that are in the country illegally. Absolutely. A lot of those are on visas, right? Not necessarily jumping borders. So let's not make it about a border jumping issue. Should we tie down and tighten up our uh, borders? Absolutely. Who doesn't think we shouldn't tighten the borders? Well, there's a certain percentage that don't. Great, the majority would say, let's make the border safe. Let's let's do what needs to be done, and at the same time, let's make sure we understand the fears. Let's make sure that people's rights aren't being you know taken away. Let's make sure that we're not invoking topaz and you know the internment of certain groups of people, or at least the registries, and and re- regressing in our own democracy. So. Be careful. Be careful. Because what goes around comes around. And if you felt oppressed and unheard and uncared for, it might simply be because no one was listening to you. So now's your turn to listen to them. Um, As part of the uh, wrap-up of the show, we always like uh, on Fridays to do a little news wrap and to keep it hip and young, yet still uh, attractive to the seniors. We like to bring in Edsel and Agatha Dinwoody, some of our older members of our team here, and let them wrap the news.
10: Ladies and gentlemen.
0: Woo! Yo! (laughs) November 2016.
9: Google and Facebook are cracking down on fake news because it poses a danger. Honestly, this world's real news couldn't be any stranger. Straight up.
11: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Some
0: budget smartphones are secretly sending private data to China. What? They're calling these security problems secret backdoors.
9: I ain't ready for this.
0: I hope their servers get clogged with all of my mahjong scores.
9: Ah. Word. A Boston company is testing tasty food bars and smoothies that could become part of colonoscopy prep routines. Oh, yeah. For you that prefer the old-fashioned way... Enjoy your beverage that tastes like liquid saltines.
1: Yo.
0: Oh, scientists found two new snail species that swing their shells like clubs when they're feeling defensive. Close. I wonder if this will make escargot more expensive. Yeah! Yo. Peace. Out. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show.
1: Call the show at
0: 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
3: Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Your life coach here, Dr. Matt, your guide on the side, helping you through life one problem at a time. Today, we're taking on sons. If you have a a son, um, we'll be talking with an expert who uh, says strong moms, strong mothers create strong sons. You need a tough mama to create a tough son. Which means your mother, Terry, must have been a mixed martial arts expert because you're one tough cookie.
4: You don't mess with her. Don't mess with your mom. I mama. don't mess with your Well, I do. I mess with her. But, you know, there's, no. there's, I know where after so long you figure out where the boundaries are. Yeah. Where is that line where you can push it? Don't push on mom. There were times when I was a kid where I'd get bored and I'd just push it. Really? I figured, let's just liven this place up and take everybody off and I'd just say <laughs> something. <laughs> and, but see, to me, many, they think that's
3: the job of the son, you know, the child, is push the edges, push the boundaries.
5: Yeah. I'm my mom's favorite. Are you? I am, too. I'm the youngest
3: Really? Mm -hmm. Me too. I'm the baby. Mm -hmm. I'm the only boy. And my name is Matthew, which stands for gift from God. Hmm.
4: I, I would make up pointless debates that would make my mom angry and then push the limit and then walk away. And then my dad would get mad because then she'd want to. Yeah, you made mom mad. My dad would come to me and go, now I have to deal with it. He goes, don't just drop a bomb and walk away. <laughs> I am like, why? It's fun.
5: Wait, so your name is Matthew, which means gift from God. Yes. That's interesting because my name is Jeffrey, which means uh, no exchanges or refunds.
3: Yeah. Isn't that weird? Hmm. Yeah. My mom picked a great name. So did your mom. Terry, what does Terry stand for? Thor, God of Thunder. Of course, it went all geeky. I'm pretty sure Terry does not stand for Thor, God of Thunder. It's, it's what it says.
4: I don't, I don't make the definition of things. I just, you know, relay the information. <sighs> okay.
3: I'm pretty sure I something's off about that. I'm
4: just, just saying.
6: All right. All right.
3: Hey, i got a great show. We will be talking about... How Strong Moms Create Strong Sons with Dr. Uh, Meg Meeker. She's a pediatrician, co-host with Dr. James Dobson's family talk show radio, uh, radio talk show. And she's going to be um, giving us some insight about that. Honestly, I, I have seen there's an interesting correlation between dads and daughters, moms and sons. So when I see in my office a lot of young women that are struggling Having identity issues, not knowing who they are, a lot of times I'll see that they don't have a dad there for them, a dad in the home, and I wonder if it's true with sons as well. They need a tough mom. I had a great mom, tough mom, uh, but also she she was making life happen. She took a difficult situation and made it great. So we'll be getting into that today, plus, of course, a lot of headlines, a lot of information, some of which you might even want to know about. We will we will be talking about that. It is today William Tell Day. You've heard the song, uh, and now we're pulling off uh, just about every amazing version of the William Tell Overture. This is a five star version um, that's j- it's on the Just Dance 2016 program. Dancing jockeys. The story behind William Tell um, is pretty amazing. Basically, you got to shoot an arrow off your—I mean, an apple with an arrow off your son's head. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I'd end up making his mom really mad. With a crossbow. With a crossbow. Hey, yep. do not shoot that crossbow. Where was the mother? Did the mother just trust William Tell to shoot a to shoot an arrow? I doubt it.
4: My wife would be all over me.
3: What I'm do you w- think you're doing?
4: Yeah. I'm going to shoot an arrow. We played a game over the weekend. Yeah. My son wanted to go outside and play catch. It was a little cold. So I uh, we played a game where I just threw a ball at him as he ran down the hallway. Oh, fun. If I hit him, I get a point. If <laughs> I missed, he got a point. That's a great game. Then he came back and he goes, okay, it's my turn. I was go, it a baseball? No, it was just a little little sponge ball. And he goes... It's my turn. I go, your turn for what? He goes, to throw it at you. And I go, no, 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 you don't understand the game. Yeah. I throw it at you. And da- he goes, oh, okay. Dad doesn't get off the couch. Well, I had the infant, so.
5: Yeah. I convinced my two-year-old that I was making the ball that I was throwing at her uh, disappear. Because I would do a one, two yeah, count. And then I'd throw it head. behind my back. Oh. And then pretend to throw it forward yeah. with empty hands. She loved
4: it. <laughs> so what we're saying is no, none of us are gonna shoot stuff at our kids to no. take apples off their head. Some of us won't get off the couch literally. Absolutely not. I was feeding the, the child. It you was, were feeding the baby? Was busy. I was I had I was taking care of both kids at the same time. And isn't it amazing
3: what dads will do that moms won't do? Right. Like sure. how many times do you ever hear that a mom, you know, hurt their child while wrestling with him?
4: She wants to do like math. And work on, you know, words. Let's do quiet stuff. Like, let's read. Oh, Oh, jeez. Throw stuff at him. Come on.
3: (sighs) Isn't life great? (laughs) William Telday, thank you very much. That was great. Thank you all. Thank you. We'll get to that fun uh, in just a bit. Plus, of course, uh, we'll be doing a little holiday travel review with Leanna Tan later in the hour. And um, some other interesting stories, including, you won't believe it, a couple of uh, thieves that rob a house, I believe, and then take a taxi. Hmm. Not smart. Again. Not smart. These people do not get it. Fail the plan. But we have dash cam video. Plan to fail. And we'll play the audio. Oh, nice. And it's it's pretty interesting. The, the cabbie didn't even know he was being sucked into the deal. Mm. Fascinating stuff. But first, let's get to the headlines with Sadie Nielsen. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? <laughs>
7: Former House Speaker Newt Gingrich, a vocal supporter of President-elect Donald Trump throughout the campaign, said on Thursday he does not intend on being the cabinet of the new part of the new cabinet of the administration i want to be free to network across the whole system and to look at what we have to do to succeed gingrich said in a brief interview with the washington post gingrich has has been discussed as a potential option for secretary of state and also health and human services secretary he also said that he was interested in working on strategic planning during the administration House Republicans are planning major changes to Medicare next year, Representative Tom Price said Thursday. He said the House will act on legislation within the first six to eight months of the Trump administration. Republicans have been keen on privatizing Medicare, but Price said that won't be the most immediate action the House takes. In an effort to streamline the approval of the changes to Medicare, Republicans will attempt to use the budget reconciliation process, whereby a simple majority is needed in the Senate rather than 60 votes. Peggy Whitson, 56, became the oldest female astronaut to travel to space at 3.20 p.m. Eastern Time Thursday. Along with two other crew members, Whitson will travel to the International Space Station, where she will turn 57 on February 9th. This is not the only record-breaking NASA adventure of her career, however. In 2007, Whitman became the first woman to command the International Space Station, and with a total of nearly 377 days in space, she has spent more time in space than any other female astronaut. Her upcoming six-month mission will push her past the U.S. record of 534 days spent in space, a record set by Jeffrey Williams in September. And finally, um, we have a lot of thieves stories this hour. A woman in Scotland managed to ward off a sword-wielding attacker at a fast food restaurant armed only with a plastic fork.
3: (laughs) Holy cow. Was Was it a spork or a fork?
7: Let me tell you. Okay. It was a fork. A man entered the woman's shop with a two foot long sword, demanding she give him money from the cash register. He came towards me and pushed me and I pushed him back. I think he realized I wasn't going to give him anything. He went out and I went out after after him after the shop. She told the BBC, I wasn't thinking of catching him, just seeing where he was going. And she was later able to identify the weapon in court and he was sentenced to four years in prison. Wow. Yeah. That's great. So I don't know what caused her to grab a plastic fork
3: oh, to defend nothing.
7: herself against a sword.
3: Yeah. it's You're not going to win that one. No. But it's just reflex.
7: I don't think she won the battle because of the fork. I think she won it because she was just very tenacious. aggressive. Yeah. Yes.
3: She's tenacious.
7: Yep. I like that word.
3: Thank you. It's the word of the day. Tenacious. We really should start having a word of the day because... Um, I've just, You know what I figured out about this whole show thing? My mind doesn't work this early in the morning. No. We need I don't to, believe we that. Need to, we need to do the show at about 10 o'clock at night. Okay. Because then I'm on
7: fire.
5: Everything's funny at 10 o'clock at night.
3: Oh, I know. It's true. Totally. Hey, um, thank you, Sadie. That's, uh, so if you are going to take on a man with a knife, you can go with a plastic fork. I personally would go with a spork. It's so multidimensional. There's so many more things you can do with a spork. It's a spoon and a fork. Um, In the news. Crazy. (laughs) Okay. So if you had to bathe in a food of your choice, take a bath in a food of your choice. So
4: um, what what food would you want to bathe in? I don't know. Last week, the guy was... A couple well, a week and a half, whatever, in Nutella yeah. for that. The guy was in a oh, big see, bathtub just... full of chocolate. But imagine how that just sticks spread. to your body and. Yeah, but I mean, if you really wanted a yeah. bath. Now, are you trying to consume what you're in? Bathing no, let's
3: in, say, or... let's say honestly, nobody ought to, eat, you ought not eat anything you're bathing in.
4: Okay, so taste is out. Um, are you looking for smell? Yeah, is that the maybe aroma? Okay. Mm, but I don't know if I want to smell like anything I would eat. You don't. No, like like big fan of fried chicken. Don't want to smell like fried chicken.
3: Oh yeah. Yeah, but have you ever had chicken and then you smelled like fried chicken? No. Have you ever gone to church and somebody walks in and you know they had like a big bacon fry? <laughs> yeah, in
4: the morning they had something because you could smell it. Yeah.
3: That's um, always fun. yeah,
4: I don't know what I would want to. What food I would want? How to about smell top like. ramen? Mm, no.
3: Well, if you love it, uh, there's a man now that uh, you can bathe in it. Apparently, in Japan, you can now, at a novelty shop, get a collection of bath powders based on ramen, miso, and curry broths. Hmm. So if you kind of want a little miso broth or a curry broth,
5: you just go get these bath powders.
3: Ramen. they, They come in packets
5: i wanna bathe in it with you <laughs> mm. ramen he's singing but ramen. Not,
3: he's doing a little bob marley jam that's not I the bathe in
5: ramen with you.
3: all right so you take those little packets you know sometimes the packets when you don't want the ramen to be too flavorful so you leave one or two out if you're making two or three packets have you ever done that you I've put
4: all I, the right pack you put it all in i've you? actually never had ramen by choice really yeah well how did you get through college i like, had food, like, cooked actual food. That's weird. You must have lived at home with your mama. I have never purchased the 10-cent ramen pack and cooked it up to eat. Oh, that's the best. I've done cup of soup, which is yeah. in that same ballpark. But cup of soup always disappointed me because
3: yeah. it just doesn't have the same volume as a ramen block. Right. My kids Forever. eat ramen
4: blocks. I have, I have noticed that if you just eat the ramen, yeah. that could be considered somewhat healthy and then you add the little packet of in, of stuff and it turns it into a like a fat bomb but whatever <laughs> go ahead a fat bomb a fat salty bomb uh,
3: so you can go get these powders they sell for about 3 bucks each and you can go take a bath and then soak in some ramen yum yumness so if you like the chicken if you like the beef ramen just soak in the beef and then you know dry off and the rest of the day you just smell
4: like lunch i'm
5: hungry
4: do you have a favorite flavor of ramen yeah i just do chicken yeah uh, the beef's too strong the shrimp's too scary <laughs> the seafood's been what dehydrated for my goodness that's yeah. interesting i don't know that's kind of weird yeah but it does actually doesn't it explain a lot
3: about why japan has such a low birth rate Because
4: everyone smells like lunch. Yeah. Holy cow! You smell like miso. Apparently, if it's if it's as popular as they're saying. Yeah. Hey, um,
3: let's. uh, You got to hear this crazy story. Two thieves in Deal, New Jersey. Deal. Deal. Huh. D E A L. Deal. New Jersey authorities say two men took a taxi to a home that they planned to rob. Right. So, like, they don't have their own transportation. They took the taxi, they planned to rob, and then they stiffed the driver on the fare, leading him to report them to the police. The police say 46-year-old Kenneth Burke, 38-year-old Timothy Foote are charged with burglary, conspiracy, theft, and criminal trespass. Authorities say the men told the driver to wait outside the home Friday, and they soon returned with a television and liquor bottles. The driver then took them to an apartment, but they didn't pay the fare. The driver called the police, who soon notified deal police about the burglary.
5: Hmm. Rude.
3: Totally rude. And if you're going to take somebody to the – if you're going to take a taxi to your
5: robbery, you always pay the taxi driver. Especially uh, this one, we actually have audio – From the dash cam within the cab. And
3: the weird thing about the audio is the cabbie didn't know that he was basically aiding and abetting a a criminal act.
9: All right, friends. Looks like we're here. 227 Mayberry Street. I've really enjoyed our time together, and thank you for your patronage. Uh, Looks like your total comes out to just wait here until we get back and leave the car running. Oh, well, fantastic. Looks like I'll have the pleasure of your company for... Oh, okay. I'll just wait here for you, then! Shh! Keep your voice down! Oh, okay. Good thinking. At this hour, it's probably best to use my inside voice. Well, let's hear what's on the old airwaves tonight. I just love this song. It's always been one of my favorites. I'm going to sing along. Here we go. Michael rode the boat ashore. Hallelujah. Michael rode the boat ashore. Get us out of here now. Oh, well, welcome back. What you got there, a TV Uh, You want me to pop the trunk? I'd give you more space back there. No, we don't want you to pop the trunk. Just step on the gas and let's get moving. Ooh, and what you doing with all the bottles of alcohol? You and the missus observing an anniversary or something? Listen, buddy, we're going to be observing a funeral if you don't put the pedal to the metal right now. Well, sure, whatever you say, sir. My, 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 what a lovely evening. You know... I couldn't help but notice you're packing a Beretta there. I remember when my daddy bought me a gun. Of course, it was just an air rifle, but I doubt all those crows could tell the difference. Am I right?
3: (laughs) From the moment a mother holds her newborn son, his eyes tell her she is his world, But often as he grows up, the boy who needs her simultaneously pushes her away. Boys today face unique challenges and pressures, and the burden on mothers to guide their boys through them can be overwhelming. Joining us now is Dr. Meg Meeker, author of the book Strong Mothers, Strong Sons. And in this book, Dr. Meeker calls up 30 years of experience to share the secrets that every mother needs to know in order to strengthen or rebuild a relationship with her son. Uh, We appreciate you, Dr. Meg. Thank you so much for being with us today.
11: Well, thanks for having me, Matt.
3: This is, uh, as a child, as the only boy, a spoiled, rotten son to a (laughs) single mom, I totally agree. Strong uh, sons do need strong moms.
11: You know, they do, and particularly in this culture when there's so much coming at young men, um, just sort of uh, want to take them in, in all the wrong directions and so many challenges. And, you know, particularly if there's single moms out there we, in, who are trying, uh, you know, to be both a mom and a dad, which, of course, you can't be two people. Um, but they really need, it, mothers need to understand that the needs of boys are quite different from the needs of girls. And that there are some very specific things mothers need to do to make sure that their sons grow up to be strong men um, who can fly on their own and who can avoid a lot of the bad stuff out there. And it can be done, but moms just needed some help.
3: And it's it really, I, I, I totally agree. And we, we always want to like be, I guess, politically correct about it and say all kids have the same needs, but... I really – I've seen it, and I don't I don't know if it's my bias. I don't know what it is, but there's something about a, a mother-son relationship. There's something special about a father-daughter relationship. This opposite gender is so important. Um, where did you pick up your ideas? Was it being a pediatrician? Was it being a mom? Where did you get your insight?
11: Well, really – a lot of it first came from being a pediatrician and you know watching kids and listening kids i 've kind of become a professional listener of kids and parents and I saw so many differences of course, between boys and girls and then observing the the dynamics between mothers and sons and mothers and daughters and and fathers and daughters and fathers and, fathers and sons and I realized there are very, very unique differences um, to each combination and you know in fact sons, our boys are born from the get-go very different from girls, and we, we know there are a lot of, you know, of course they have different personalities. A lot of boys have very different personalities, but fundamentally there's a very big difference between, you know, the male gender and the female gender, and it's good, it's wonderful, and I think we need to embrace those differences and parent towards those differences rather than trying to parent out mm. what who kids really are, parents in their strengths and 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 develop that masculinity and develop that femininity and and they're and you know they're very specific things moms can do for their sons and when you have a a, uh, a parent who's the opposite sex of their child the dynamics are particularly unique um, and I find that interestingly for instance mothers of daughters tend to be harder on their daughters than their sons. Mm. Um, And, you know, that's one of the things I found. Uh, We know know that fathers of daughters, uh, for instance, tend to be typically much more protective of their daughters than they are their sons. They parent their sons quite differently. So the the parent of the opposite sex of the child, that's a very unique situation and um, some wonderful things, but also some very unique challenges there, too.
3: Hmm. Did you... um uh, I, I mean, I guess, and you have children, you, yes. you know what this is like as well, so it's it's got to be interesting to kind of see the academic side of this and the professional side as a pediatrician, and then go home and practice the reality of it.
11: Oh, very much so. My husband and I have raised um, four kids, three daughters and a son, and my son, who's the youngest, is 24, and then the oldest daughter is 32. So they're grown and gone now, but we can, you know, I've seen it in action. And interestingly enough, I was, as I was reading about a lot of the research and I was watching a lot of the dynamics of the parents with their, patient, with my patients in, the, in my practice, I was finding that I would come home and I was doing what I was seeing without even knowing it. For instance, I found that I pushed our older daughters a lot harder than I pushed our son, but I never realized it. Until I saw it at work in other people, and I was reading about it, and then I thought, "This is this is just what I'm doing," and so it I, it you. It's hard to see when you're in the middle of it doing it yourself as a as a mother of a son or. But when you recognize it in other people and then you bring some awareness to what you're doing, oh, my gosh, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> I need to change it, too. So I really do. And now I'm a, a grandparent. We have four grandkids. And I, I, of course, they're quite young, so I haven't seen a lot of this at play yet. But it really is interesting to see that um, when, when you observe it and then you read about the research and then that it's reinforced with your own behavior you really realize what works and what doesn't work and that's why I'm thrilled to be able to write books about it because I know that what I write about really works and mm. it is true.
3: What are you, you mentioned earlier that there are some unique challenges and pressures for boys today. What are some of those that we need to pay attention to?
11: Well, first of all, I think we know, for instance, that boys are much more visual people than girls are. You know, if you take a six-month-old Girl and a six-month-old boy, and you lie them next to each other, and you uh, show each baby uh, someone's face. They'll react one way, but if you put a, uh, a moving mobile above them, they'll react different ways. We know that, for instance, girls will fixate on a at six months of age will fixate on a person's face. Boys are much more drawn to movement and activity at, at six months of age. So there's those differences. That means that boys are uh, very challenged by a lot of the visual stuff they come across, for instance, on the Internet and video games. And mm. they're much more drawn to those than a girl would be. So knowing that, you realize if you have a 7- or 8-year-old son who is wanting to play video games, you have to be very, very careful, A, that you limit them because he's much more likely to, to have difficulty stopping uh, you know, playing them or even becoming addicted later on in life than a girl would be. So it's very important that parents know those differences. And mothers say, okay, I'm going to limit my son and I'm going to limit limit the violence. Uh, Same is true with, you know, sexual stuff on the Internet and pornography and things. much more likely that boys are going to get drawn into that. So those are the kinds of things, I think, that come at boys. Um, that parents have to really guard their sons against because they're so vulnerable for getting in, pulled in at a very young age. You know, and that's just, you know, one of the things I think that, uh, you know, boys are at risk. You know, we know that a lot of boys have, have a much higher percentage of ADHD than girls do. Mm-hmm. Um, boys have higher uh, percentage of autism than girls do. So a lot of unique challenges that parents need to understand so that they can help keep Their sons moving in the right direction and help them if they ever, if as if they do start to get into trouble.
3: I mean, that I mean, you add pornography, you add uh, all of the other things that they could, I mean, and even just other things that anti your value system, your belief system. And now, boy, and, and in a weird way, I see my boys, they're just creative, they're curious, they. They just keep digging. <laughs> and yes. When you're digging yes. in the Internet, you could find a lot of stuff you may oh. not be ready to handle.
11: It, very much so, and they don't even need to be digging. I mean, it can it can literally just sort of jump at them because a lot of porn sites are hooked to other sites that, um, you know, like different music sites. So if a, if a person is on the Internet searching different kinds of music, some you know, porn can pop up. So we really, really need to protect our sons. One of the things that I have found is that um, mothers in particular, and I'm in in there too, we tend to coddle our sons a bit. We tend to not want them to get hurt. We don't want their feelings to get hurt. Um, And so we hold them a bit closer, and we're very, very gentle with them. Rather than, and this is important during the teen years, sort of, Cutting a little bit and saying, "Okay, you're a young man now. You can do this. You don't need your mom to do it." Mm. And what I find is a lot of very educated, conscientious um, mothers who want to do a really great job tend to overstep our bounds with our sons because we we pull them in too closely, and and that ends up really harming them. I don't I don't I don't mean we pull them in too closely and keep them away from porn and that kind of thing. Right. What I mean is we do too many things for them. And um, that's 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 very, very unhealthy. So that's sort of in the mom-son dynamic that you don't get in the father-son dynamic.
3: Yeah, it seems like fathers maybe push risk and, yes. and, and, and not unhealthy risk necessarily, yeah. but they try it. Climb the tree.
11: Exactly. Climb the tree. You know, if you break your arm, you break your arm, you're going to survive. <laughs> Build things, smash them, it's okay. And mothers tend to, no, 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 you know, you don't understand. Mothers are more emotionally in tune, so... You know, we want our sons to just be sort of emotionally safe all the time. We don't want their feelings hurt and so we tend to protect them in different ways and it's not always good. And I really do think that I'm not blaming it all on mothers, but I'm saying this is a, a problem that we can tend to have, um, is that we have a hard time letting our sons go, particularly in the in the later teen years in the twenties, because mothers very much want to keep on parenting and we very much want to be our son's mom. Mm. And um, that can be very detrimental to, to young men.
3: Yeah. I mean, especially yeah, if we never learn to do this stuff on our own, if we don't, because it, it's just too easy to go home.
11: Yes. It's very easy to go home and have mom do everything and have mom cook and have mom this. You know, and I'll never forget the day when my son was about 18 and and I worried about him more than our daughters. I don't know why, uh, but my husband was a very strong dad with our daughters. And, and, and again, as a a woman, I sort of pushed the do- my daughters to sort of say, you can do this, you can do this. But with my son, it's like, well, I know you can do it, but it's sure nicer if you let me help. And I remember at one point my son was 18, and he looked at me, and he said, Mom, will you quit quit talking to me like something's wrong with me? Hmm. And I thought, well, there isn't anything wrong. But what he was getting from me was that, you know, um, you need me to help you. You need me to this. You need me to that. And I got it. And the light bulb went off. And I said, I am so sorry. And from that point on, I changed even just the way I spoke to him. I started calling him a man. And I, I started saying things like, you don't need my help. You got this. Or you make the decision, I don't know what's the best thing to do, you do it. And I, start, I made a conscious effort to push away, and it dramatically improved our relationship. And, and I saw a change in him. So a lot of those things are subconscious, and I think we mothers do it because a lot of mothers talk to one another about how we're parenting our kids. And I think we tend to, if, if we see our friends doing the same things with our sons, We're going to do the same thing, too, and it's not always the best thing.
3: Right. No, I think that's dead on. And it's, I mean, again, this is a learning process. Nobody was born with, you know, the manual. So that's why books like yours need to be written so we know what's going on. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Meg Meeker and uh, her wonderful insight around strong mothers, strong sons. Um, her most recent book, she's she's taken 30-plus years as a pediatrician and a mom and uh, folding it all together, giving you the insights that we all need. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion. Stronger Parenting. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Doctor Matt here, your coach, and uh, today we're talking with Doctor Meg Meeker about her book uh, "Strong Mothers, Strong Sons," which is teaching moms about some of the intricacies of raising a son and making and raising them in a way that they can be strong, resilient, also able to uh, take on the world especially in, in today's day and age when things seem to change so much from maybe the older ways that we were all raised. Dr. Meg Meeker um, also is a co-host for Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk radio show and is a fellow of the Academy, uh, American Academy of Pediatrics, certified by the American Board of Pediatrics and serves on the advisory board of the Medical Institute. She uh, works with her husband in northern Michigan where they share a medical practice. Uh, Her husband's name, by the way, is Walter, and they have four grown children and a beautiful granddaughter. Again, Dr. Meg Meeker, thank you so much for being with us. Sure. Thank you. What do you you say going forward? What are some of the very specific things that we need to uh, focus on as far as the roadmap to get uh, get our boys from childhood to adulthood
11: in a healthy way? Well, I think, you know, first of all, when you think about boys as as young boys— you know, the first eight or ten years of his life, it's, it's very important for him to form strong attachments to mom and to dad, um, which many times means, uh, you know, mothers tend to spend more time with their sons. Of course, we tend to, you know, be around them more. and, and But it's important that when dad's around for mothers to let dad come in and take over and do things with the sons, because as the son moves from 10 to 20, or really 10 to 18, the teen years for a boy are really supposed to be all about dad. So, uh, you know, we hear in those pre-adolescent or early adolescent years, um, I think it was Bruno Bettelheim used to say that that boys sort of kill off their mother. They emotionally (laughs) detach and turn towards their father because they need to watch their father and bond with their father more to see what a man looks like and how he acts and how he behaves. So if so for mothers to allow that process to happen, if, the, if it's a single mom and dad isn't in the picture, it's very important for her to look around for an, uh, a, her, you know, her brother, her father, another good man that she knows, so that the boy can sort of see how a good man behaves and he can emulate that behavior. And um, because, again, boys are visual. They need to see what a man looks like, how he talks, how he interacts with uh, the, the boy's mother, how he treats women, and that kind of a thing. So that's very important. The second thing, I think, is to understand that there's a lot out there that wants to come at your sons to sort of really devour them, i.e. pornography, the Internet, and um, a lot of, you know, violent video games. Those are the, the real big things that mothers need to be very careful about. So to in. in implement rules in your home, um, you know, when a child is doing their homework and they have to be on a computer, they should be in a public area. You know, you shouldn't have a 13-year-old boy sitting in his bedroom alone with a laptop for three hours. You know, make sure that, that you're putting in protective mechanisms for him. He can do his uh, homework in the kitchen. He can do it, you know, in the living room right off the kitchen while mom or dad is around, you know, making dinner so that if some, you're just going to be much more aware. And, again, put some real limits on video games as they grow. Put limits on, you know, violent uh, movies that the boys are seeing. So those are some, some things, that, and I know that parents think, oh, that's just impossible, you know, electronics are everywhere. It feels impossible, but it's really not that bad. Once you sort of push through those initial years of here are what the rules are, here's how it's done, Boys accept it, and they're okay with it, and they learn to live differently than their friends do. They learn to live not attached to electronics 24-7. Hmm. So those are really important things to do. And then as the son gets older, it's, again, it's very important for mothers to empower their sons, not enable their sons. You know, um, don't cross boundaries as your boy becomes 13 or 14. Start to talk to him as if he 's a man and he is capable and he can make decisions that will improve that will improve a mother 's relationship with her son tenfold if she treats him with respect and treats him um, more ca- a- as a capable person not as an um, A person who's not able to do anything. And of course, he isn't a full man yet, and, you know, cognitively, but if you start to show him the kind of respect that a young man should have, it will really change the way he sees himself, the way he sees the the world, and the way he treats himself and other people. Hmm. So so those are just some real key important things that moms can do. That's
3: great, and and they'll always, you know, people will say, well, they're going to see it sometime anyway, they're going to see it at their friends, but there's something about um, a child knowing that mom and dad are creating a really safe place for them.
11: Absolutely, absolutely, and I will tell you, it can work. Um, absolutely, there's a very different uh, there's a very different thing about for um, a uh, boy his perspective, believing that what he's seeing, mom and dad don't think is okay. If a mom and dad say, Well, you're gonna see it anyway, it's like with drinking, you're gonna drink anyway, you might as well start drinking at fourteen or fifteen in our home and we'll teach you how to do it. You sanction it. When you allow it in your home, in the boy's mind you're saying it's really okay, it's not that bad. But if you say, you know, it is that bad and you're not gonna do it in our home, that boy knows when he's watching it at a friend's house, something goes off inside of him that goes, Ooh, this is not okay. So that when he looks at it and goes, "Oh, I don't really like what I'm seeing." Oh, yeah, my mom and dad are right. But if a mom and dad say, "Well, you know, you might as well start watching at our home because you're going to see it anyway," you're sanctioning it, and that's a hugely important um, for young men. So, and I will say, um, I um, am working with. I do a fair amount of work with the NFL, just in helping them with their men and their parenting, because many didn't have, um, many didn't have. Um, um, fathers growing up. One young man came from a strong Mormon family, and he now, I'm trying to remember his name, he plays for the Miami Dolphins. He told me that he had such a strong sense of community, and his parents were so, so strong that when he um, got through college and he, and he started the NFL, and he first started to hear the bad language, and see what was going on, he said, that was my that was my introduction in my 20s to all the bad stuff that's out there. And he said, how amazing that my parents were allowed to keep me on the high road for all those years. He mm. said, that's exactly what I want to do for my kids. And so there you go.
3: So powerful, isn't it? Yeah. And, yeah. and again, it's almost like, we forget we are supposed to be parenting yes. it, and it's more like i want you know i don't want to offend them and i don't want them to think i don't trust them but oh, the, it's it's re- not about that it's about, it's about protect that.
11: them it's it's about not trusting the culture they're growing up right. in and not leading them into temptation not allowing them to get in situations where they can't handle themselves mm. You know, it's like allowing a 14-year-old to go navigate London on their own if they grew up, you know, in Omaha. It, they, they can't. They, they don't have a driver's license. They don't know how to navigate. They don't know what to do it. It's not an issue it, of trust. It's just an issue. of They don't know how to do this. So we need to keep them in areas that they can navigate and negotiate. Um, but, but there's so much that's beyond them, and they, they have no clue how dangerous you know, to them, watching a little bit of porn on the internet is kind of fun and games. But you and I know it's not fun and games. Mm. There's nothing. Hell, it takes you to no good place. So that's why we, as parents, need to say, "Sorry, you can't watch that now." You that's can't, right. can't. You can't because it's gonna it's gonna take you down a really ugly path.
3: And then we 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 make a big effort too that uh, once we teach them you know what to avoid what to look out for and these watchouts we even teach them how to respond when they see it when they find it what to do exactly. how, because a lot of times they then don't know what to do and sometimes they feel like oh now I've really sinned because yeah. I didn't I saw something that mom and dad didn't want me to see but so we tell them to then talk to us how to turn off the yeah. computer quickly exactly just be open and and know that it's out there you know you'll have an arrow shot at you just. This is what you do when you're shot or even when you're hit.
11: Exactly. And I think for parents to have the attitude, you know, I am my child's ally. Our, war, our culture says that kids, kids in the culture are the ally and the parents are the enemy. No, the parents and the kids are allied. The culture is the enemy. So that when bad stuff comes at your kid and he feels weird or he's upset or he feels whatever, it's the parents who are going to help unravel all of that for him you know he's we're not we're on the same team here we're not enemies and one of the worst things that um... a secular our culture does is teach parents you know parents are the enemy we really don't understand our kids so you need to send your kid into the doctor alone when they're ten or eleven so the doctor can talk to him about things that you don't really understand parents it's very odd it's a very 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 odd culture so we need to realign that um, alliance, too. It's the, it's the kid and the parents on the team against the culture.
3: Love that. Talk about another thing that you do bring up is the fact that um, our, our boys need to make sure that, they, or as parents, we need to make sure the boys also know and have and have an emotional vocabulary. Yes. They yes. understand feelings. They are clear and okay talking about feelings and that they can recognize feelings in others. How do you, how do you instill that?
11: Well, and again, you know, I think some fathers will look at it and go, wait a minute, I don't want my kid to be a sissy. It's not about that at all. Um, William Pollack in a great book called um, um, Real Boys talks about the boy code and how when boys are in the first, second, (coughs) third grade, they don't want to cry. They don't want to tattle. They don't want to say anything. They just want to stiff up their lip. And a lot of dads will go, just, you know, man up. You don't need – and really what we need to do is if they're angry, to say to them – I get it when you're angry, and when you're angry, honey, here's what you do. So to help a boy verbalize, I'm angry. Okay, you're angry. Here's what you can do. You can't hit your sister. You can't break my stuff. Go outside and, you know... Um, take a nerf bat to a tree or something but to learn how to deal with feelings so that they don't end up at thirty five year old thirty five years old imploding you know and it is okay if they're in you know in second grade or third grade and they get hurt or whatever and they're upset and they cry because they are sensitive people but, but it, it, how to handle their feeding, feelings and how to learn what to do with those feelings, how to respond well, not respond badly. Hmm. Um, and so that's a very important thing, and moms can do that. So w- what we do when our boys are young is um, get them to state, I'm angry, I'm sad, you know. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling very worried about something. So to get them to verbalize and then to teach them what to do with those feelings and how to respond in a positive way and not how to respond in a negative way, that really sets a boy up for a much healthier emotional life later in life.
3: Oh, and and really, I mean, it's going to be demanded eventually by their spouse, by their yeah. children. It's just emotional intelligence, really, right?
11: Exactly, exactly. And mothers are key in giving that to their sons during those first 10 years of life, A, because they're with them, and B, because moms tend to be a little more emotionally in tune uh, with our kids because we're just with them and we're, you know, wiping. Uh, knees that are bruised and bleeding, and we're, you know, wiping away tears, and we're there for all the, you know, the times that kids get banged up in life. So um, it's just more natural that we do that.
3: Hmm. As we wrap up, uh, Meg, give us, what would you say, if there's just one thing we should all remember, and, and if we can with our sons as parents today, what's the one thing that you found overall makes the biggest difference, the biggest bang, the fastest as a parent?
11: Time. You know, if parents understand they have the power in the in the child's life, they need to spend more time with their their kids. That's all they need to do. If if you're having problems with your kid, the 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 thing you need to do is not back away and spend less time and send them to somebody. You need to spend more time with them, because that's how you resolve problems, and that's how you raise a a child with great character. More time and understand you have all the power in your your child's life. Those two things are the most important. They're very, very simple, but they're very profound, and that's what changes character. Hmm.
3: Beautiful. Time, it does matter, doesn't it? We appreciate you, Meg. Thanks for your great work. Again, uh, Dr. Meg Meeker, author of the book Strong Mothers, Strong Sons. You can find that at Amazon. Find it all over the country. You can also um, do more just by by researching all that she's doing. She's, she's everywhere. You can uh, also go to listen to uh, Family Talk Radio as well. Interesting insights, folks. Just parenting. We're trying to make it through this. You can do it. You're doing better than you think. Don't give up. We'll take a break. Come back. We're gonna do a little holiday tra- holiday travel update. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend show. You know, when it comes down to it, uh, we, you're you're probably getting ready, geared up to go celebrate. Uh, the holiday season next week and on this show as as always we like to give you tips advice tools for how to make your life happier healthier well some tips you may not have been thinking about are how to make some of the long trips with uh, your family and how to make it through some of those trips Uh, our producer liana tan is going to share with us five of her tips on how to avoid holiday travel disasters next week
0: if you're anything like me You can already smell the warm scent of turkey wafting in the air. I'm sure you probably just can't wait for the weekend to start so you can hop on that plane and head home for Thanksgiving. I'm gonna walk a hundred miles. But... You're not the only I'm one. Gonna all the it's that time of year when the streets are bustling and the airport terminals are filling up. If that's what it takes to make me smile. But don't let long lines, security checks, and layovers ruin your holiday spirit. I'm gonna walk a hundred I've had a few holiday trips back home myself, and in order to ensure you have the smoothest journey home this Thanksgiving, I've come up with Five tips to avoid holiday travel disasters. But I'm gonna run right up this hill. Oh. Put tape on all your cosmetics. There is nothing worse than finally getting to your destination only to open up your suitcase to find your entire week's worth of wardrobe covered in foundation or splattered with your lotion. All you have to do is put a piece of tape over the little spout and it should hold it. I'd also recommend that you put it in a Ziploc bag just to be safe. Freeze your water bottle. I didn't actually know this was a thing, but I found this tip on an article called 14 Hacks that Will Make Your Next Flight Easier from BusinessInsider.com. Most people know that you can bring an empty water bottle through the security just fine and then fill it up once you get through. But a lot of people don't know that as long as a liquid is frozen, it's okay with TSA. And if you're flying from a place like Utah, your water bottle is likely to freeze the moment you step out of the car anyway. Free. Check the lost and found. That same article also said that anything that's been in the airport lost and found for 90 days or more is up for grabs. What? Why didn't I know this before? Think about it. You need a phone charger, souvenir keychain. I'm sure you could probably even bring your grandma home a new pair of dentures. Well, new is a relative term. This just opened up a whole frugal world of Christmas shopping for me. Chew gum. What's the deal with this pop life and when is it gonna fade out? I heard from someone once that if you chew gum on a plane, it helps so that your ears don't get plugged. Kind of nice, because plugged ears can get really painful when the air pressure changes. But then again, it's kind of like a natural defense against fellow snoring passengers. Don't let your little sister pack the snacks. Even if she is only two years younger than you and about to graduate with her bachelor's degree, don't be fooled. You may still end up with nothing but a few hunks of cheese, some peanut butter, and an expired bag of corn chips to hold you over for the next 15 hours of your trip. Well, I wish you all the best holiday travels, and I hope these tips help to avoid any major disasters. Now, instead of enduring a holiday filled with stained clothing, plugged ears, and cheese hunks, you can enjoy a peaceful, hydrated holiday filled with keychain souvenirs and free dentures. Happy flying! Well... I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at
0: 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
2: BYU Radio. Welcome back,
3: friends. Hour number three of the program, Dr. Matt here. It's Friday, which makes today the 15th, this show, the 15th show of the week. 15th and final show. Hour? Yeah, my show. Well, I see it as
4: three shows a day. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, that's just how I see it. That's a uh, a uh, progressive way of looking at mm-hmm. the show. Good job. Every and, and
3: this is number fifteen. Mm. So you know we we don't we're not going to mail it in. We we always we deliver. We deliver one more hour of fun. In fact, so much to get into this hour. Uh, of course, we will be doing the movies because it's Friday. So we're going to get to, um, you know, the goods. We're going to bring you the goods. Two two movies we're going to try to review, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them and The Edge of Seventeen. Really? He went to go see that one? He went and saw the R-rated The Edge of Seventeen. I don't know what that means, but it sounds pretty edgy. That's uh, from Rod Gustafson at parentpreviews.com. He'll be up in a bit. Uh, Also today, we will visit our good friends again with BYU Sports Nation, talk about uh, the upcoming game, I believe, with UMass, and Mm. see about their show. uh, UMass, known for their football. Another independent school. So independent against independent. Now It would be be fun to see independent BYU against independent Notre
4: Dame. Mm. That would be exciting. They're not really independent, though. I mean, they are, but... They're affiliated
3: with winning. Wow. So, so is BYU. What does that mean? BYU today, if they can win this one, they'll be 7-4, and four, right? Yeah. That's great. Sure. What do you, you act
4: negative. For what point? What purpose? But they're going to a bowl game. The poinsettia the, the poisonous... The bowl game they knew they were going to at the beginning of the season.
3: Right. But it's official now, and the guys were yeah. wearing red jackets. It's going to be great. That's super fun. We'll get to that plus hero story of the day, of mm. course, and we'll probably do a news flush if we have time for all of that fun. But let's not move on. It is uh, William Tell Day, and we have a very special version of the William Tell Overture. This is a mother singing. Um, you know, it's only two and a half minutes long. We will not listen to all of it. Or it's about three minutes long, but it's, it's everything a mom says to her child in a day, in a day, but it's all sung to the William Tell Overture.
0: Play outside, don't be rough. Would you just play fair, be polite, make a friend, don't forget to share, work it out, wait your turn, never take a dare, get along. Don't make me come down there, clean your room, fold your clothes, put your stuff away, make a bed, do it now. Do we have all day? Were you born in a barn? Would you like some? Hey, can you even hear a word? I say, answer the phone, get off the phone. Don't sit so close, turn it down, no texting at the table. No more computer time tonight. Your iPod's my iPod If you don't listen up Where you going in with whom, And what time do you think you're coming home Say thank you, mm. please excuse me Makes you welcome everywhere you wow. go Wow, this makes my
4: heart race I, I feel severely nagged <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is what a
3: mom goes through in one day We'll post the entire thing on, at Dr. Matt's show. Wow. She can go enjoy. Wow. It's true, though. These are all the things you got to tell your kids.
0: Yeah.
4: I got a PhD. I don't know what you guys are doing. My mom never said, get one. She said, go to college. Then figure it out from there. She said, get out of my house. Oh, well, there was that, too.
3: Um, William Tell, which is, again, interesting Basically, because the the myth, the legend of William Tell is that he was told to shoot A bolt using a crossbow, shoot an apple off of his Kids head. son's head.
5: Yeah. Actually, in the in the original version, I think it was his mom's head. Really. So this is kind of applicable. Yeah. But While she was singing this song, that would be and awesome. he's like, oh, I'll I'll no, shoot an apple jittery. off her head. I'd be too jittery in a second. You don't want to go there. We got uh, so
3: much to cover today. Thank um, Kevin's for moms. Last hour, we talked about the power of moms with sons. We know that uh, if Terry's mom hadn't taken him out, over, put him over the knee a bit. Yeah, several times. He would have destroyed the house and everything. Remember, um, the, remember the part about not playing the whole thing? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, by the way, Terry. Yeah. We found out uh, that our names all mean something. My name, my name mean, Matthew, means gift from God. Yep. Jeffrey means... Um, no exchanges or refunds. No exchanges or refunds in three languages. And Terry joked, we thought, that mm. his name means... <laughs> the Thor God
4: of Thunder. Thor God of Thunder. Yeah. Which is actually kind of accurate. It means God of Thunder. I just threw the Thor part in because, you know, in the Norse mythology, they named him. But yeah, God of Thunder. Noodle alert! Just wanted to toss that out there. So you are a thunderous God. Yes. I bring the thunder. Yeah. Boom. I'm not not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. I'm going to buy a hammer over the weekend so I can bring it with me. That'll be great. Yeah. Carrying a hammer. My mystical Norse (sighs) God of Thunder hammer. Okay. Oakley-dowkley. Good luck with that. Let's uh, get to the
3: headlines. What, you know, this is truly, this is what you can trust. Not Thor, God of Thunder. It's true. Look it up. But you can trust Sadie Nielsen on the headlines. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country?
7: Donald Trump has offered retired Lieutenant General Michael Flynn the job of a national security advisor, according to a senior Trump official. The AP reports the official wouldn't say whether Flynn has officially accepted the job. Has been a close advisor to Trump throughout the presidential campaign and has worked with him on national security issues during the transition. Senator Tim Kaine's future doesn't hold any presidential plans. The former Democratic vice presidential candidate made it clear Thursday that he will not be running for president in 2020, or probably ever. This election marked the first race Kaine lost in his political career. Kaine is planning to focus all his energy on his upcoming Senate re election race in 2018. One victory speech apparently wasn't enough for President-elect Donald Trump. On Thursday, Trump's team reportedly said he's planning to grace America with a victory tour after the Thanksgiving holiday. Poole reports that the... Poole indicates that the trip planning is already underway. Trump's advance team director said Trump will obviously visit the states he won in the election, as well as seen states he flipped over during his tour. And finally... Yes? Uh... I'm just going to tell you this story. I'm not going to give you a little teaser to it. Um, it's not pranksters or vandals who placed toilet paper all over the streets of Littleton, Colorado. It actually was city workers. Ew. The Denver Post reports that the Littleton crews have used bathroom tissue to help seal up cracks along more than 120 streets. Officials say toilet paper was applied with a paint roller over freshly laid tar used to fill asphalt cracks. Mm. The paper absorbs the oil from the tar as it dries, keeping it from sticking to the pedestrian's shoes or car and bike tires. Smart. Uh, It's biodegradable paper. It'll be gone in a few days. And a spokeswoman, uh, Kelly Nard, says the toilet paper allows traffic to retake the road more quickly.
3: Do you think there's like a mom on the staff that's always like, don't waste it. You're wasting the toilet paper. Most likely. (laughs) Who keeps going through the toilet paper? I just
7: didn't know that was a thing, that they repaired asphalt cracks with toilet paper.
3: You know what? That's a great... uh... It's it's an it's an age-old trick. Budget cuts. I mean, you have to use what you have available, right? That's Could, true. Then, then, then people can walk on it. Tr- cars can get on the roads faster. And if it's two-ply, it's be, two it'll ply. work. But see, if it's
4: two-ply, then one ply sticks to the road. The other ply uh, sticks to the tire. Yeah. Then you just create... No, the, well,
7: not if it's Charmin.
4: Yeah, because they're, they're like weaved together. There's a special process as they... Oh, is it... Oh, Watch the commercials. Oh, is because, they, yeah, it's... Yeah, because yeah. it's it's been almost...
3: Um, what, what do they call it? It's been it's been sewed. You yeah. say weaved, but it's it's like they've these little elves. Were the elves or bears? Could just be either way. Were stitching. <laughs> it's been cross stitched with love. Wow.
7: Always.
5: And if you're going to place it by an entire roll in the road, make sure that you place it with the sheets going over and not under. This is true. I can't it's stand so the under true. placers.
4: Yeah. And, and always don't squeeze the Charmin if that's the brand. Well, and right. how many
3: times have you had, like, someone on the road repair crew that doesn't even replace it when it's out? Yeah, they just leave the roll. It's like, come on. Like, am I the only one in the house <laughs> that can replace the roll? Sheesh. I'm sick of it.
5: Anyway, thanks, Sadie. Yeah, by the way, why don't we have – you know how there are, like, napkin dispensers? Like, yes. it's a tissue box? Why don't we have that for toilet paper?
3: Because I think they assume volume, you're going to need
5: more than one square
3: hmm. at a time.
5: I just think that they could uh, they could help regulate the usage of toilet paper if they did it that way. And then you yeah. wouldn't have to like roll it around your hand. Anyway, we don't need to get into this. You know what you
3: could do uh, the day. You know, there's, uh, there's a
4: road here. That we're beginning to go down. And, Which
3: my kids, by the way, call yeah. "Hey Dad," a drinking fountain in the bathroom.
4: <laughs> That's crazy. That's how informed just in case my you get thirsty. Are. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> Yuck. Hey, um, <laughs> speaking of public sector, public workers, mm. road crews. Yeah, a public sector, and this is a story. It seems like we do about every year or two. A Kuwaiti public sector worker didn't turn up for work for more than a decade.
1: Hmm. Was that wrong? (laughs) Should I not have done that? (laughs) It's like George Costanza. I got to plead ignorance on
5: this thing, because if anyone had said anything to me at all when I first started here that that sort of thing was
1: frowned upon.
3: Then nobody said anything.
1: You know, because I've worked in a lot of offices, and (laughs) I tell you, people do that all the time.
3: Is that from him sleeping under the desk? George Costanza? No. Okay. He did something worse. He did something worse, did he? Is that bad is that frowned upon so this guy didn't show up for 10 years and uh now the city's quite upset about it the quaidy man's absence from work went apparently unnoticed for 10 years until officials discovered the case the government suspended the salaries of 900 employees in an attempt to curb the trend of citizens who wrongfully collect their wages without turning up for work so That's he robbery. Ruined,
5: ruined it for everybody else. Yeah.
3: One guy, 10 years, didn't show up for work. See, now Trump would
9: call that smart. Would he? Yeah. He'd probably fire that guy.
5: No, 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 no. Just like with the tax evasion. If you can figure out a way to do it, then all power to you. Mm. I'm sure he would say. I bet you Trump would
3: actually say, well, we would have been auditing these departments and known this in the first six months. Then we would have fired him and made him pay us back and built a wall around their house. Something like that. Hmm. So uh, just show up for work, folks. It's Friday. If you're not supposed to show up tomorrow, hey, you got a day off, my friends. Um, any other headlines, Terry, that we need to worry about? Lots of uh, news. Uh, Mitt Romney is now kind of being thrown out there as a possible... Uh, Filler,
4: I guess, He's going to meet with uh, Mr. Trump tomorrow. Secretary of State. They're going to compare uh, hair products. Wonder how that'll go down. Who has the best hair? Oh, for sure, Mitt. Is it Mitt? Does Mitt have the best hair? Well, many would claim Mitt's hair is real. Does he? Who pays the most for their hair? Probably Donald. Probably Donald. Okay. You got to pay by the weight. <laughs> By the weight. Interesting. Um, There was a story. Oh, here we go. Snapchat. Yeah. I know you're big on the snaps. Love. I can't get enough snapping. Tossing out your stories constantly out there. Apparently Snapchat is their parent company is Snap Inc. Okay. I don't know if you knew the difference between Snapchat and Snap Inc. Mm -mm. Uh, They have uh, confidentially filed paperwork for an IPO. Really? So according to a person close to the company, because, you know, sources say it could happen as soon as March 2017, an estimated valuation. What do you think something like Snapchat would be worth? Oh, boy. A company that doesn't produce
3: any probably revenue yet, does it? Uh, They have some advertising. So very little revenue. Well, I don't know (laughs) little. I I see
4: ads when I'm going through my stories.
3: But I mean, a lot of these companies that only produce ad revenue don't, aren't, seen as a great pick, right? They they need other forms of income. Okay. So I'm going to bet it's two bill.
4: Two bill? What about 20 to $25 billion? Unbelievable. <laughs> That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. They have new glasses where you can walk around and just snap people with your because it's glasses. It's because the younger gen loves this tool. It's significantly <laughs> higher than the $3 billion buyout that Facebook put on the table in 2013 for the... Service, yeah, but Facebook had revenue models where people were paying
3: to as 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 businesses to, to advertise, advertise
4: yeah. and to no, they have this. target, they have advertisements on there. Well, You'll flip through, and all of a sudden, it's like a Chevy ad. No, but are you on? Are you are you on Snapchat?
3: going to you personally
4: yes click through on an ad on snapchat as fast as i possibly can just get it off the screen
3: but because it's it's forced it's forced advertising it
4: just pops in there but
3: like facebook people are choosing it all the time i would on facebook if i saw something interesting to me advertised to me it's it's
4: part of my homepage basically
3: okay snapchat
4: 20 to $25 billion. Okay, I wouldn't invest. Some Android smartphones in the U.S. have a secret backdoor that sends data, including text messages, to China every 72 hours, according to a new report in The New York Times. Holy cow. Security contractors have reportedly found pre-installed software in some devices. The software allegedly monitors users' travel and text messages. Authorities say it's unclear whether Chinese officials are using the stolen data for advertising or for more nefarious intelligence Mm. purposes.
3: Well, I'm sure. Come on. China, they're
4: they're they're the next dark force. Those most vulnerable to the affected phones are international customers, customers with prepaid phones. And uh, there's a Chinese firm that wrote the software. Says its code runs on more than 700 million phones and other smart devices. Wow! Now they're the lower end Android phones. Sure. So sure. if you're looking for like a, just a, a phone you pick up at the supermarket, you're probably you're probably compromised. And China's looking at your text messages. <laughs> That's why you got to pay more money. So when you when you when you send like to your friend where are you at, they're gonna wonder in China where they were. Yeah. What's the answer to that question? Right. Did you see this one
3: about uh, celebrities who could run for president next uh, next time? Yeah, I've skipped that because you know. No, it's gonna happen. Mm. Tom Hanks, he's on the list. Yep. Because he's, he's America's dad. He did receive a 2016 Presidential Medal of Freedom.
4: Yeah, and so did a bunch of other people.
3: And he was married to a mermaid, was? or he dated a mermaid. He in dated one a show.
4: mermaid.
5: I mean, that's... He eloped he's with ve- a mermaid.
3: I mean, that's very cross-cultural, I think. that's He's very open. Kanye... Kanye West is... You see what he said last night at his concert? No, I, I, I saw that he said something and I thought, do I want to know that? And he, then I said,
4: no. Well, I'll tell you. He th- he said that he probably would have voted for Trump if he voted. There you go. Really? <laughs> hmm. There you go. So that, that's already a, a check mark against him in the next election. He didn't even vote. I don't think Kanye is going to ever be president now.
3: You can't be somebody that doesn't vote. They hold it against you. You have to vote. Uh, Oprah Winfrey? Hmm. Even though she told she Jimmy voted for Kimmel, Trump too, no, she oh. no, she's going to she could run for president, but she told Jimmy Kimmel that she would never run for office. Mm. But I don't know if that's true or not. If if America comes calling, I think Oprah would step up. Uh, Steve Colbert, mm. he'd be fascinating, mm. funny. We would be the funniest presidency. So what we need is a funnier president.
4: If you'd go back to be the character on Comedy Central, absolutely.
3: <laughs> Dwayne the Rock Johnson, he's one of the sexiest men alive,
4: according no, he's to the. The according sexiest. to the advert, it's interesting that there's a movie coming out with him in it, and he gets that article written about him. It's It's, weird. G- it's crazy now, how that works. It's almost like they're just trying to advertise the movie. Yeah, and it's an
5: animated movie too. Yes. Yeah, and
4: then he's going to be in Baywatch. How about Tim McGraw? Why?
3: He'd be. He's a country superstar. Isn't he known as? He's married to Faith Hill. Faith Mr. Hill would be Faith the first Hill. lady.
4: He's like Mr. Faith Hill. Yeah,
3: but he's got he's got to create his own identity. All right. Anyway,
4: <laughs> there's
3: Donald Trump's opened up a door. I, I I think Oprah would be fantastic. She knows how to talk and get people on the same page. I don't know if I'd come out of retirement for that. Um, Tons of fun, folks. We'll take a break, come back, do a little parentpreviews.com with Rod Gustafson reviewing some of the latest movies coming out this weekend. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. Welcome back, folks. It's Friday, and if it's Friday, it means it's time for movies. And who better to walk us through uh, the movies than Rod Gustafson from parentpreviews.com. Parent Previews uh, is a wonderful website for parents to review movies, films, um, and, and be able to get some insider information and background on the movie before you take your kids there to make sure it's appropriate in every way for them. So, Rod, we appreciate you being here. How are you today?
12: I'm doing better and better, Matt. Finally and finally. I think my voice is coming back. Yeah, you sound sound healthy. You sound vibrant. (laughs) Vibrant, yes. What uh, movies are we going to review today? Well, uh, the big one is the one that all the Harry Potter fans have been waiting for. Fantastic beasts hmm. and where to find them. Now, when I first heard this title, you know, there's a there's a lot of young ladies here in in Alberta where I live. They they want to go to BYU University and find fantastic beasts. And I thought, <laughs> oh, maybe that's what this is Weird. about. But no, nope. no, 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 this is a different <laughs> kind of animal entirely. This is a story about, and yeah, you've got to be a real Harry Potter person to get this, Matt. So my wife who has read the book, she explained it to me so I could understand. And by the way, backing up for a moment, if you don't really know Harry Potter well, well, this movie may be a little tedious and boring. Mm. As you can tell, it was a little tedious and boring for me, but my wife quite enjoyed it. So there is a textbook that's used at Hogwarts when Harry was in school called Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. And it's written by a guy by the name of Newt Scamander, And it was written 70 years earlier. This movie is the story of Mr. Scamander and the trip that he made to New York City as he has he is researching these magical beasts that exist in the secondary world this is just like Harry Potter where you've got the real world and then you've got the magic world and so this is what's going on so this movie is based on a textbook you don't you don't get many movies like that Mm-mm. it is the script is written by J.K. Rowling of course that is the author of Harry Potter and so this is kind of the the next the next phase of Potterism, if you will, from what I understand, there's going to be five of these movies or something, and uh, and so that's what's going on. So the story is about Newt as he comes to New York City in what appears to be about the 1920s, and... Um, he has this suitcase with him that is full of these magical creatures. But the only problem is Newt has a hard time keeping his pets on a leash. <laughs> and uh, they wind up getting out and wrecking havoc in New York City. And, uh, and so that, and he gets in big trouble with the magic authorities. But then, of course, there's some other things that are going on that are even bigger trouble than this. And, and that's, where the, that's where the adventure gets underway. I mean, we've seen the previews of this in the movies, the trailers, and it seems,
3: it's, it looks awesome. It looks like there's going to be a lot of wonderful graphics and, and entertainment. Oh, yeah.
12: Yeah, as far as visually this thing is is just amazing. First of all, I love period movies because I think it's so cool the way they try and recreate the uh the streets and the sense of what New York City would have looked like in 1920. Um so all of that is really interesting. And then yeah, the creatures are are just amazing, of course, with all the animation and everything else. Um and I, I don't want to sound like a real downer with this film because it it, it you know, it, it Again, if you like Potter and if you like Rowling's work you 're probably going to really like this, but if you're just kind of a, a muggle like me, you may find that two hours and fifteen minutes or whatever it is, this movie runs a little long, and uh, it feels that way to me, and so you know that's kind of the give and take of it so and and if you are like me, take somebody like my wife who can whisper in your ear and say, no, this is what 's going on. Keep up with the plan so focus you muggle
3: um, yes here 's the deal is it is it um, um, is there a future in this franchise of Fantastic Beasts? Will we see more and more of these
12: this type of uh, show, or is this a one-off? Oh, you will see more. This thing is going to make money. It already made, I think, seven or eight million dollars last night in its Thursday openings. Uh, they're kind of predicting around eighty, eighty-five million probably over the weekend here, which is certainly yeah. more than just parking meter change. I think it may even hit the 100 mark over the weekend. Hard to say. But no, there's a lot of pent-up demand. This is kind of like... You know when Star Star Trek came back after its hiatus. Um, you know it's been a while since we've had Potter movies on the screen. I hate the, the really J.K. Rowling movies, and uh, and so there's a lot of pent up demand. And the other thing that you need to that you remember as well is many of the people who were 12 years old and 15 years old when the Potter thing started. Well, they're you know they're in late 20s and 30s now. And they love this, and they can't wait to get more. And and some of them have got kids that they're going to start bringing too. And, and that leads me, parents, you know, heads up on this. It, um There is some violence in this that's going to be your biggest concern, even some blood. And there's some scary scenes. And the monsters themselves uh, can be enough to keep a six-year-old up at night. Hmm. So just like back in the Harry Potter days, I hate to admit this, I was working as a film critic when that first movie came out. And we used to tell parents, you know, start with reading the book. Unfortunately... Um, actually I did look up on Amazon they've actually published this quote unquote textbook. So you can get the book form and maybe that's a good place to start. But parents just remember, this could be scary, even though it's not scary for you, it might be scary for little. Yes. Yeah. Overall, you gave it a rating of a B. Um, Over, yes. Yeah. Overall, my wife gave it a rating of a B. <laughs> did she? Did she? Good. Yeah. Your wife would know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just, no, I I just found it a little tedious, you know. And we're we're at least this time when we're when we're destroying New York, it's it's older New York, so oh, that good. was a little different. So yeah, we know it's been rebuilt.
3: Um, yeah, I know that's a that's the big one released for the weekend. Also, The Edge of Seventeen, an R-rated movie, was released.
12: Uh, did you did you get a chance to review that one? Yeah, I did. You know, Matt. I really liked this movie, but it's rated R and how I wish it wasn't. This is one of those films where take out those 12 sexual expletives and uh, and uh, and there's some teenage sexuality in this as well. But this is a movie that has some really interesting messages to it. This is a movie about a young gal. She's 17 years old. She's always had a difficult time socializing but she's had one good friend since grade school when she used to be really badly bullied and her and this friend this friend is what's gotten her through life and now she is a um and now she Oh, i've got to convert from canadian to american here she it goes sophomore yeah right she's a junior (laughs) in high school yeah (laughs) sorry we call it grade 11 here and uh and she discovers they have her her mom, who's a single mom. Her dad has died a couple of years earlier, and she's had to go through that tragedy. Her single mom takes off for the weekend, and uh, they have a little party in their house, and then she wakes up the next morning. She's gotten quite drunk, and she finds her best friend in bed with her brother. Now, this sounds like pretty, and it is. This is serious pretty content. pretty yeah. The, yeah, the purpose of this movie, though, is... I think the biggest message that comes out of this movie is for parents and why we need to parent. And to me, that's what I found in this film. I would say... Don't send your kids to this movie, especially alone. If they want to go see this movie, go see it with them and then sit down and talk about the decisions that this young girl makes in areas of uh, of sexting to a friend and in areas of um, needing, feeling like she, everybody hates her when really everybody doesn't hate her. This is a a big lesson about attitudes Hmm. and perspective there's a lot of good things that happen in this movie, but it's a heavy film and a film that definitely should be watched with parents if you choose to go see it. And parents, there is, there's a fair amount of profanity and some pretty serious topics in this film. So you're totally justified in saying no thank you as well. And perhaps waiting for this movie on home video where it's a little easier to push the pause there button and skip around. Yeah. So.
3: yeah, good stuff. Well, Rod, we appreciate you taking the time to, to, to make it clearer for us so we don't have to waste our time.
12: Thank you. Time and money with a precious little of both of those these days. So So true. So true.
3: Parentpreviews.com. Go check out the the website. Also, you can see the reviews and the talking points. Really, uh, so many resources there for a parent to make sure that we're getting the healthiest uh, movies, media into your family. No need to make mistakes anymore when it comes to media. There is information out there. We'll take a break, come back, do a little uh, news flush for you. Wrapping up the week, this is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. Hey, uh, as it's Friday, we like to do a little news flush, get rid of some of the stories we just got to get off of our chest that you may want to remember, you may not. But, uh, Terry, do you have one right up front that you just are chomping at the
4: bit to get out there? TSA. Yeah. For Thanksgiving. They kick out some guidelines on things you can and can't bring. One of them they said gravy. If you want to bring grandma's gravy (laughs) on the airplane... It is prohibited from carry on bags unless you pack it in accordance with our liquid policies mentioned above. You can also pack it in your check baggage. So you got 3.4 ounces. <laughs> That's the carry on limit. So maybe you can split up a whole batch of grandmas. Yeah, maybe you get like three little vials of 3.5 ounces at a time. Uh, make sure you take the Zip Talk bag out of your carry on prior to sending it through the x ray. It will look odd and cause you to be. What extra search? in That's, the other room type of thing. You yeah, want that to happen. Just pack it in your bag. Also, they said the turdunkins.
9: Yeah, the yeah, the turkey, turkey duck, duck
4: chicken, chicken. All stuffed into each other. Yeah, those weird, yeah. Yeah, you know. the uh, horrible, horrible things people do with food. They can be packed into dry ice for carry-on and check bags. If you pack your turducken in regular ice, remember that the ice must be completely frozen when going through the checkpoint in order to adhere to the 3 one rule for liquids, gels, and aerosols. Wow. And last but not least, uh, the the Turduncan in a cooler or shipping box might exceed your airline's carry-on size allowance, so make sure you check with them before you fly. (laughs) That's great information. Great information. How about this? So you hear about people that are locked
3: in because of like a coma or some inability. They can't communicate. Yes. And they're locked in their body. That's how I feel right now. Yeah, you've been locked in for days. Ever since you got your mortgage signed, you've been locked in. Well, experts have found a significant achievement by um, a brain implant that allows people that are locked in to communicate what they're thinking, what they're feeling. Uh, San Diego, a wireless device that decodes brain waves has enabled a woman paralyzed by locked in syndrome to communicate from the comfort of her own home. Researchers announced this week at the annual meeting of Society of Neuroscience. The 59-year-old patient who prefers to remain anonymous but goes by the initials HB is trapped inside her own body with full mental acuity but completely paralyzed by a disease that struck her in 2008 and attacked the neurons that make her muscles move. Unable to breathe on her own, Uh, with a tube in her neck, Uh, they put a tube in her neck, pumps air into her lungs so she can breathe, and she requires round-the-clock assistance with caregivers. But a new wireless device that uh, they've um, attached in her brain now enables her to select letters on a computer using a screen, um, and she can actually type out what she's thinking. Huh? Can you imagine to be able to finally communicate? I would just start going down the list. Get rid of Judy. <laughs> Steve I don't like this. is way too touchy. Larry, great guy. Give him a breath mint. I just start going down the list. <laughs> then you're. That's beautiful though. How cool yeah. is that? Science saving lives. Flush it.
4: Electric cars. One of the appeal that people like about them is that they're very quiet. Right? There's yeah. no engine, oh, so as fantastic. you drive, it's whisper quiet. Mm-hmm. You're just whisk, you know, driving down the road. You've had some experience yeah. in an electric car recently. Electric cars can be whisper quiet, but that will change. If you buy an electric vehicle after September 1st, 2019, it will automatically make noise anytime it travels at speeds slower than 18.6 miles per hour. Because the problem
3: is, it's one thing for you inside; it's quiet, but it's everyone outside of you. Yeah, they need so to know you're
4: coming. When, so when you're driving down a city street. <laughs> Maybe you're going like 10 miles an hour and they can't hear you. People that uh, people that are sight in, impaired have uh, actually asked about this because they can't they, they you can't hear a car coming. Well, do so you know what you, don't know.
3: Do you know what song I'd have playing on well, my what, or not song? What sound I'd have playing on my car when I drive under 18? What's that? Wouldn't that be great. Every time you're pulling in, oh, there's Matt, like Boss Hawk. There's Boss Hawk.
4: Doesn't this sound like a Duke? Dukes of Hazard chase. Yeah, I mean banjos. Yeah, so that I'd play. It, it's a choice.
3: It's an option. Everyone gets to pick their own. I mean, you don't have to right. like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd have rock and roll, crazy, dark, I, yeah. black music. Sure. Yeah. Black, what's it called? Black Sabbath.
5: No, 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 no. Just to give you some perspective, we actually do have audio of uh, the current model of those cars. If you want to listen. To oh,
3: it. really? What's that?
4: Yeah. Mm, That's great. It's really good. That's a well tuned vehicle right there. Boy, I love that.
3: And then the next thing you hear
4: (coughs) when you drive over somebody. Right. I didn't even see.
3: Yeah, you need
6: to.
3: Sorry. That's good news. Good story. Um, Apparently, video games are helping young veterans cope. Everyone's so down on video games. Yeah, what's up with that? Spawn of Darkness. Two long wars have left nearly a half a million veterans suffering from PTSD. And many of them are finding out that gaming offers a unique form of support, distraction, and even treatment. Hmm. It allows them to talk to each other, other buddies, other friends, uh, and work through some of their um, some of their issues that way. But uh, they also get to just succeed at something. They feel like they're able to take something on. Um, think about too, if you were injured, went through, lost a limb, it helps with rehab. Hmm. They're using video games in so many different ways. We've even found ways that they're actually curing people's and, and healing people from PTSD is they put them and let them go through scenarios, and then they use the, the therapeutic skills to help them talk themselves out of these panic attacks, deal with their night terrors. Hmm. It's powerful. Yeah. It's cool. It's awesome, folks. I'm stuff. telling you. We're being this the, all these advancements, they're taking life to a completely different level. If we let them, they also could suck us down into a deep abyss.
4: Speaking Ooh. of advancements, yeah. Coca-Cola's made a selfie bottle. Why? So that every time you take a drink, it takes a picture of you drinking out of the bottle. Oh, cool. It's an advancement. You're just talking about advancements and no, technology you don't need to help. More mankind. Selfie
5: advancements. You don't want to see the inside of somebody's mouth? <laughs> the selfie snapping
4: bottle features a camera in what can only be described as a bottle boot. It's like a plastic like, a, a insert. You put the bottle in this little insert on the end and the camera's right there looking it's at like you. A, it's like a, a cozy. It has a USB out for transferring your images. The red uh, bottle shots. Basically, you tip the bottle past 70 degrees, it takes a picture. Oh, brother. Because it's important.
3: It's You know what? It's really not.
4: It says it gives you a down-angle image of your face as you slurp that sweet sugar sauce down your gullet. <laughs> <That> <laughs> Available in, I think, like Italy or something. That's good.
3: Okay, yeah. whatever. No judgment here.
4: No judgment. Just
3: flush it. Flush it again. Uh, we will take a break. Come back. we got to get to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's Friday, which means it's uh, it's getting closer to game day. Let's shoot it down to our good friends at uh, BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem.
9: Hello, gentlemen. Yeehaw! Hello, Matthew.
3: <laughs> Did somebody pull a muscle?
10: Uh, no, but something happened with Spencer's neck. What? I am wearing a neck brace right now. Are you really? Yes. Yeah.
3: Were you, were you two wrestling?
2: Uh, no. No. I was viciously attacked by the big, not so friendly giant Peyton Dastrup last night. Really? Mm-hmm. True story. W- what happened? You're going to have to wait for BYU Sports Nation to hear the whole story. That is. And by
10: viciously attacked, you mean uh, accidental bump. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to show. We're going to show the video. Was it accidental, Jerem? We're going to show the video on BYU TV.
3: Holy cow!
10: And we're going to tweet it out. But, oh, there's yeah. video. Yeah, there's. Oh, there's video evidence.
3: Did the paramedics come?
10: Uh, no. Okay. No, there was a game to be played. Spencer sidelined that game. No issue. Listen, uh, the adrenaline's
2: flowing. Yeah. You yeah. gotta go. Yeah. Then things happen when you're asleep. Things swell. Yeah. You know, your <laughs> yeah. body's trying to recover. Right. So there's some stiffness
10: in the, in the morning, right? But he, but Spencer's here. Like he didn't he didn't he did uh, a stamp and mail it in. No. I'm playing He's here. through the pain, man.
3: Playing through the pain. But does he
10: look different? Yeah.
3: Does he look yeah. taller?
10: His neck's tall. He looks like Merton Hanks from the Niners in the 90s who had a really long neck. Yeah. I feel like
2: I'm one of those, uh, those. Oh, I don't know what, kind, what type of women they are, but they, they wear those, those metal braces around the neck to try and make their necks yeah. longer. Yeah. from another. Yeah. I feel like that's what's happening to my neck right now.
3: You t- as, I, as I've now Googled Merton Hanks, I can totally see it. Did you Google Merton Hanks? I did. Yeah. In fact, when I, when I Googled crab. Merton Hanks, the next option was Merton Hanks' neck. I've got a better guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of long-necked people. Um, here's the deal, guys. Today is uh, William Tell's, uh, the day we celebrate William Tell, which it was, he was the guy that was asked to, to shoot an arrow off of his child's head, his, I mean, uh, an apple off oh, of his head. Oh, that's the guy? You remember? That's Did the story. It? And I'm thinking it, it, how appropriate. Because we ought to maybe, now that your neck is so straight and tight, we could probably do a little uh, shooting today. And Jerem could shoot an apple off of Buckets. your head. Hmm. Do you think?
2: I, I trust Jerem with a lot of things, but I do not trust him to shoot an apple off of my
10: head. You forget that I went to, uh, I did some bow and arrow at uh, day camp, remember? Oh, that's how right. Did that go? And how did that go, Jerem? <laughs> I'll just say hi. high. <laughs> Let's just say
3: it ain't pretty. So guys, um, your show. What, what's on the show today, other than the neck brace?
10: There's a lot going on because it's a loaded weekend. Yeah, it is. Sports. Football Another independent, huh? Oh yeah. Uh, men's hoops plays Coastal Carolina, and the women's soccer team is in the Sweet 16. They mm. beat Oklahoma. last That was night. cool. They play South Carolina tomorrow uh, for a chance to get into the Elite Eight, which is sweet. So we're going to discuss this. If you had one wish for one of those games tomorrow, what would it be? Which game? What would it be?
5: Well.
3: Wow! Mm.
10: Right, get through yeah. the Sweet
3: Sixteen. Come on.
10: Yeah, I, I I think that's the one. But we'll discuss. Yeah. Right. I,
3: my my only wish is that that Spencer heals.
10: Thank Thank you, yeah. Matthew. That's, you're, that's all I you're care. Nice. About. The yeah. show must go on, though.
6: Okay. Yeah.
10: <laughs> <laughs> I
2: can't think straight. <laughs> uh, I, not much. Blood and oxygen is moving to my head right now. <laughs> per,
3: per the norm,
10: <laughs> that's good. Keep that going. Cool. Yeah.
3: Keep going, Jeremy. What yeah. else?
10: Uh, so, yeah. Since Spencer's kind of down in there, yeah. I'll just don't keep make going. him talk. Uh, two on one with handsome Tanya. Mm. Tanya, there's a BYU football player named handsome. He is handsome as well. Uh, we went two on one with him. We'll, we'll uh, show you that interview. How BYU is getting ready for UMass and how many steaks does he consume before a game? The night really? before a game, it's the- higher than four. What? Yeah.
3: That's a lot of carne.
10: Raspberry bacon-wrapped steaks. Doesn't that sound amazing? Oh,
3: that sounds so good. Right? Mm. I don't think you could get one down your throat right now, could you?
10: I'll eat it for you. Don't worry. Plus, Elena Elena Medeiros live from South Carolina, previewing the women's soccer game coming up tomorrow.
3: What a What a show. Cool.
2: Controversial going for two picks is just the beginning, Matthew.
3: <laughs> Did, was that Jerem that just sneezed? Yes. I'd give twenty bucks to watch Spencer sneeze right now.
2: <laughs> twenty bucks. Don't yeah. drop a sneeze. I'm trying.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Look to the light. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just Look to the you light. Like a-
2: give me some pollen.
3: Pull one of his nose hairs. <laughs> That'll get it going. All right, guys. That sounds like a great show. I know you got to go. I was going to say wax on, wax off, but it's probably more. You got to get that masseuse going.
2: I need more than a masseuse.
3: Okay, I'll get your chiropractor. I'll get you my chiropractor's Chiro name. Masseuse. You'll love it, guys. Best of luck, Spencer. Uh, you know, f- keep it straight.
2: You can see the video. <laughs> you can see the video right now of my my neck brace on, it, on our it, BYU Sports Nation. Okay, right I'm now. going yeah. there. I'm going yeah.
3: there. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go check it out and then I'll report to my peeps.
2: Okay. Thanks,
3: guys. Knock 'em dead. You. That's uh. That's hard. Oh, well, you wake up with a bad neck, but it, it's got to be pretty bad to have to wear a brace. That uh, that's not fun for anyone. Um, it's Friday, folks. Remember that. And when we uh, when when we you know we joke all week, we have fun all week. But in the end, you gotta you got some time maybe with your family. Let's also make sure we're planning and getting prepared for a better uh, holiday that's coming up. Make sure you're you're on top of that as well. There really are um, only so many things that uh, that we can do, right? With our time, you only get so much time on this crazy earth. So let's make it a great, great weekend, and also a great holiday coming up next uh, next week. We earlier um, talked about uh, the importance of moms, and also um, and how moms impact sons. Which is so true because my mom, you know, obviously changed my life, helped me be a better person. But some research is um, is out as well on, in Scientific American magazine talking about the important roles that a happy childhood for a dad. Um, so your sons having a, having a good childhood, strong childhood where they're happy and healthy, how positively it impacts relationships in older age. Men with happier childhoods, research shows, have stronger relationships as they age. A decades-long study now on well-being found that the upbringing, how you're raised as as a child, uh, deeply impacts and affects how you end up managing your emotions through time and over life. So make sure you're focusing on that when you're thinking of your kids. You're not just raising your children You're also raising your grandchildren, right, and your great-grandchildren. You're setting up future relationships for everyone in your family by just putting together a great weekend and a great family life. As we wrap up the show, we also like to always focus on a hero story. Today's hero is out of Salt Lake City, Utah. Don Silvino collects aluminum cans around Salt Lake City for a living. His strike is – or his trike, he has a uh, three-wheeled bike, and it's – It belongs to a 90-year-old man, and it's his only means of transportation. But over the weekend, he watched helplessly as somebody jumped onto his trike and rode off with it. One person's bad actions is now bringing out the good in others, He doesn't speak English, but Don Silvino's hands tell the story of a lifetime of hard work. Don Silvino is a little bit of a staple around downtown, Jorge Fierro said. The man is known for riding his trike up and down the sidewalks in Salt Lake City as he's collecting his cans. He's been going around doing this for years just to make a buck, Fierro said. Well, when Don lost his tricycle, uh, the community came together. He said, I couldn't believe somebody would have the heart to do that to someone who was just trying to make a buck or a living. Don says he was upset and didn't know what to do without his trike. Jorge Fierro wanted to do more than wait for the police to find it. So he posted a picture on Facebook page, hoping to get more people to on the lookout and to share it. You know, you hear somebody 90 years old who's trying to be self-sufficient and they lose something as important as that. It's time to do something about it. Within 48 hours and a GoFundMe page. Um, They have now been able to replace the bike, the trike, um, by getting two trikes worth $400 each now. Don says he believes that God will pay everybody for what they've done to help out. The big reveal next week will give Don the trikes and a check for all the remaining money. How cool is that? Heroes. You see a need? You do what you can. If that's a GoFundMe page, if that's a Facebook drop, We all can just do a little bit more of what we can do. We challenge everybody this weekend, make it happen. Go take care of the people you love. Step up, be the dad, the mom, just be the human being we all need to see um, on this earth. Until Monday, make sure you take care of each other. We'll be back again Monday. More ideas, more tools to live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. Make it a great one, folks. We'll talk Monday.